everybody out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, a special episode for our High Holy Day, that's right, it's our May the 4th special, and I am joined, as always, by my fellow Force philosopher, Ross. Mac, I know how excited you are to be here today. I'm ecstatic. I know how excited I am to be here today. It's gonna be good. Because today, we are gonna talk about the Mortis Trilogy. Mm-hmm. So... The reason we decided to do this as our May 4th special this year, uh, one, this is the first year we're recording on May 4th, so we had to set a precedent for what we're going to do going forward. Yay! But uh, we decided we would release an extra episode and that we would focus on uh, one of our favorite pieces of Star Wars content. And that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to hit you with a couple of segments, one for each episode, and then at Mm -hmm. the end we'll wrap up a little bit. But um, this is all we're going to talk about today are these three episodes of The Clone Wars. And if you've seen them, uh, well, I think you know what you're in for. There's going to be a lot for us to talk about here because these episodes are jam-packed full of content. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't seen them, uh, might want to listen to us talk about them, and that might get you interested to watch some Clone Wars because Clone Wars is great and it's easily accessible now for everybody, which is all the better. So mm-hmm. let's jump right into Episode One, it. Overlords, Season Three, Episode Fifteen of the Clone Wars, titled Overlords. So, all right, you want me to take it or do you want to take it? I know how excited you are. I don't no, no, you, you go, chain. you go. Okay, okay, cool. So, so basically, a transmission comes from deep space deep in the outer rim and buried within that transmission is an ancient jedi distress code not heard for the last 2000 years yoda and the jedi council decide that they need to send someone to investigate it obi-wan anakin and ahsoka go on their way now obi-wan thinks it might be a ploy by the separatists Mm -hmm. um you know they're all worried about what's happening so they send rex in the 501st and a star destroyer to uh Go help, right? And when they arrive, Rex, Anakin, they're communicating with each other. They're both at the coordinates, but neither of them can see each other. Neither of them have any idea where the other is. Mm -hmm. And as things start to get a little bit odder, the signal kind of cuts out. And out of the viewport of their shuttle, we see a giant black and red... Well, I have my theories on what it is, but it's sort of like a giant diamond shape. Imagine two sort of like Jedi holocrons almost kind of uh, butt to butt on top of one another. Two Sith holocrons. Oh, sorry. Of course. Of yeah, course. It's, yeah, it's triangle shape. It's an more. octahedron. Yeah. An eight-sided object. Now, tell me what you think this is, Mac. What are we seeing um, here? So, so the interesting thing about this is it it has that, you mentioned like a holocron. It's mostly because it's gargantuan yeah so it's this huge you know um moon sized like i don't think it's as big as the death star but in that ballpark yeah definitely you know does not look naturally occurring no let's put it that way and it's obsidian with these red edges to Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. um and then it basically just slowly starts to open and there's just a white godlike space inside of it yeah and as it opens the ship that obi-wan anakin and ahsoka on are on gets pulled in as if by a tractor beam you know they have no way to yeah. control it and as they get pulled into this kind of white abyss um the light kind of starts to overpower them they're kind of trying to see what happens and anakin and everyone else on the ship kind of passes out Mm-hmm. And as the white kind of overtakes the screen and then fades back out, you fade into Anakin's eyes opening. 
uh, because him and the rest of the crew have passed out. Yeah. And they are now landed safe and sound on a planet that they don't recognize. So real quick, do we want to yeah. finish the synopsis? Do we, Or do you want me to like throw in this stuff? I no, I think we should talk about notes. it as we should go. Because my go? opinion on this uh, on this thing that we just flew into, yeah. my opinion is that it's a hyperspace gate. Ooh. So that's my take on it. Yeah. That's how I'm that it's kind of transporting them to another place in the universe. There is a part of me that when I first saw it, I I started Okay. We're going to have to separate two concepts here. One, I can refer to my first impressions which were back in whatever year this was, sure. 2010, 2011 when it originally aired. Um because I watched these in sequence, and uh, the these, especially after watching them again, I think these three episodes are maybe my favorite Star Wars Star Wars has produced. Yeah, I know um, how much you love it's, them. Because it's all philosophical, metaphorical. It's yeah. very up for interpretation. Oh, yeah. Um, Even at the end of this, it really is going to be mostly our opinions, I think. So I think my first blush impression back in the day was that this was an illusion. This is just how their mind is dealing with whatever force stuff mm-hmm. is happening to them. Um, now that we're X number of years away from it and things have developed around it, I, I get the idea that it is it is an artifact. And so that when they went through hyperspace to arrive mm-hmm. where they're supposed to be, like my opinion is that the, um, the Venerator Star Destroyer that uh, Rex is on is actually where the coordinates are. Are, mm. and that they never left hyperspace where they're supposed to be like by the time they leave hyperspace and they drop in front because the biggest thing to me about why i thought it was an illusion and now i'm like no 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 we're already in magic space yeah once they drop out of hyperspace is they drop out and anakin's yelling at Rax of like no you can't be in the coordinates we're in the coordinates and then they all just are like looking down at panels and then i think it's ahsoka points out like look yep. and they all look up and suddenly, a moon-sized, you know, diamond is in yeah. their field of view, which I'm like, how could that, how could you miss that? <laughs> right, right, right. How, I mean, if you're coming out of hyperspace. So, my opinion on it was that if they show up at this area, they think they're at the right coordinates. Rex thinks that he's at the right coordinates. Right. And neither of them are able to see each other. Well, you're right. They can't both be at the right spot in real space. So Mm -hmm. something has to have happened. Um, I mean, ultimately, I don't know if there is necessarily an answer, but I think I could definitely get on board with that. And so what I I would see maybe marrying our ideas is this object is the physical embodiment of like where the gateway to Mortis, the planet we're going to go to. Um, But I would see it as almost like, this object is the thing that somewhere in our galaxy, when you head towards those coordinates, you will get if you if you're the chosen one, you'll be shunted off from normal hyperspace, like sure. like an emancipate or um, not emancipate, like um, an interdictor where they have the gravity well generators that yank you out of mm-hmm. hyperspace. I mm-hmm. have the idea this yanked them out of hyperspace towards that, and it's already yeah. screwing. Well, we with already their know sensors. it's pulling them into it, right? And then right. once they land on the planet, once they get through this object, yes. they say the ship seems fine, but they can't take off. It won't turn on, basically. Yeah, and and one thing I want to mention about the ship that I find really interesting is they use this a handful of times in Clone Wars, but it's mm-hmm. a little odd 
like actually everything about this episode is odd because this is um about a, what half a season after the costume change and they started going yeah, a little out much. of yeah. episode two's aftermath towards towards episode three yeah, we're already starting to see so. stuff like the acclimators are being replaced by the star destroyers and all that kind of stuff but one thing that's interesting is this shuttlecraft is the cut topped wing one they're not in the twilight or any of the ships they normally use they're in a shuttle mm -hmm. which is the jedi shuttle which um, is also the same type of shuttle that palpatine uses later to totally. visit um uh on mandalore to um <clears throat> deal with maul and his brother yeah and then we change the head of it and it becomes the sh the, the one that's in episode three yeah so i think there's something already symbolic about the fact that they're using not their normal ship and that the ship already has this tinge of look it's that evil ship the palpatine flies around with but it's got nice red and white jedi colors on it and perhaps i'm just forgetting how often it was used in clone wars but yeah. i don't think they used it all that often especially not these three principal characters maybe to get from ship to ship yeah but like... they're definitely in there but it's not as common of a ship especially earlier um that's an interesting point. That's a very interesting point. Okay. So, uh, well, let's keep that in mind as we go. So, as they mm -hmm. get outside on the planet here, it's kind of got a Pandora element to it. It's got some yeah. floating rocks. It definitely, I think, you're meant to um, think that it's very peaceful, peaceful and idyllic. I mean, you know, th there's not a lot of. Well, it's it's serene. Yeah, there's, that there's way, a you know? yeah, there's this tranquility to it. It's just bursting with life. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's it's primordial yeah and as they're kind of standing there ahsoka says oh i think i see something off in the distance and as they're doing that kind of a an, an angelic like voice kind of asks off from a place we can't see you know uh are you the one speaking to anakin are you the one and after a few moments and hearing this a few times they kind of all turn around and they're greeted with a, a presence of a new character who we've never met before kind of a white glowing um almost like a porcelain skin uh bright yeah. green hair a white uh long flowing dress and this golden kind of like hue she she emits yeah, light yeah definitely not in a force ghost way but in a in a very interesting um kind of new unique way we haven't seen before yeah so i think a couple notes here one it's interesting that they talk about how the tech just isn't working right Yes, yeah. they, because they're trying to figure out how did they land because no one remembers landing. Yeah, no one landed the ship. They just ended up landed. Yeah, and they're looking at it, and then Obi Wan says the incredibly disconcerting thing of like, "I'm not even sure we're in our own galaxy." It's like, do you have a detector for that? Like, like just but the idea of like yeah. they cannot see anything they're used to seeing on any of their scopes, and most of them don't seem to work. Yeah, the planet is basically holding everything in. Another thing that's interesting to me is. The daughter speaks to Anakin first, mm -hmm. and he says, did you guys hear that? And Obi-Wan's like, I didn't hear anything. So there's a part of me that's going to state this, that I feel that the the daughter, who's who we're meeting, we don't know yeah. that name yet, but yeah. she um, she manifests as that being for, for Anakin, Ahsoka, and Obi-Wan's sake. And what I mean by that is when she speaks to him, it's in his head. Yeah. But then the next time she speaks to him, it's physical as yeah. if like that didn't work. So let me try another way to reach out to you. Yeah. And it also doesn't help the fact that when you look at the daughter in the abstract, you're like, huh, her hair and 
her ornamentation around her head and even a little bit of her sh- face shape is that looks like uh, someone that uh, Anakin knows. What's his wife's name again? Pa- Panda Bear or something like that? I mean, it's it, she has a Padme look to her because she's kind of got the buns that yeah. we know from, you know, more Princess Leia. But we, we see that prototypical when they're courting in episode yeah. two. Like, she is somewhat cut out of the cloth of, I think, Anakin's mind here. That's interesting because we'll talk about Anakin's mind here again in a few minutes. Also, fun fact about yeah. the uh, the daughter: she is played by the same actress who played Maris Brood in oh, Force Unleashed really? One and Two. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, she okay. did the mocap and the voice work. Okay, that's good to know. Um, so, not to get on a Maris Brood track because I have a lot I could say about that. <laughs> uh, so, as they're following, basically, the daughter says. I cannot help you get out of here. There's only one person who can explain what this place is. Let me take you to them. And Obi-Wan basically says, well, as long as we're all together, we'll be safe. You know, they can't be more powerful than all three of us. So we'll follow them. Right. (laughs) Right. And so they get dragged on this journey. And she's like, only mentioned like obliquely, like, oh, the father. It's like, oh, sure, the father. Whatever. This is all weird. And they're commenting on how strange the planet is because as the time of day is changing, the plants are going through like their life cycle. Yeah. So like the seasons are like attached to time of day. Yeah. Yeah. And Ahsoka's even mentioning the fact of like, where are all the animals? Cause there aren't any, there's just plants and rocks. It, it's a little odd, isn't it? To see. And Obi-Wan mm-hmm. says to Anakin, can you feel it? You know, this place is incredibly powerful in the force. I've never felt anything like it. Right. And uh, it's a bit odd for a planet with no animals and, you know, you know, not. not it doesn't have the right amount of life, life. Yeah. to justify this. And then it's great because they're like, they, 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 they get to an edge and they're just kind of like, like, OK, wait, this place is too weird. Lady, what's going on? And I love how Anakin is like not into any of this mumbo jumbo. Yeah, I think he literally like, calls her. Hey, lady. Yeah. Like and. And she's like, well, we are the ones who guard the power, the beginning, the middle of the end. And Anakin's like. Oh, well, that clears things up. <laughs> like, like, they're already showing off that this is going to be a avataristic and a strange episode where these beings are so painfully unknowable. And I love that our characters, like, Obi-Wan's kind of on board of like, well, we must see where this mystery goes. Ahsoka's just being Ahsoka, just cheery and happy to be here. And Anakin's is like, I am sick of this crap. <laughs> Can we just get on with it? <laughs> Give me something to fight. Give me a ship to fly. I yep. got that. Yep. And uh, basically, as she is explaining this, you know, she says, I'm taking you to see the father. And on their way, the mountain collapses in between Anakin, the daughter, and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan. And the daughter says, oh, no, this is my brother's doing. Mm-hmm. We must, you know, go to my father for help, essentially. Yeah, it's even more important we get you to the father chosen one. Yeah, Stop calling it? me that. <laughs> and, of course, uh, the daughter says, okay, you all wait here. I'll go get help. It's too dangerous. And Anakin tells Obi-Wan and Ahsoka to return to the ship because they're trapped on the other side. Of this <sighs> and avalanche. there's this great moment where Obi-Wan's like, well, Anakin, just stay there. We'll find another way around so we can go as a group. Click. <laughs> and he just turns off the comm link. Um, because yeah. he, Anakin's not here at any other He's not patient enough. Mm-mm. So basically at this point, our heroes are kind of separated. Obi-Wan and Ahsoka arrive back at the ship and they find that it's gone. 
disappeared. <laughs> They're like, okay, well, we know the ship was here. We're positive of that. And so. then they see like a storm starting to roll in and night's starting to fall and uh-huh. things are starting to die. Like, it's not a great time. <laughs> no, not a great time to be outside. And as this is happening, they are confronted by the brother asking mm-hmm. the same question to them. Is he the chosen one? Well, I also like the fact of, did you lose something, is his, like, first line. Yeah. And they're like, who are you? (laughs) And then they see this guy who, again, wouldn't have known it at the time, but, like, so he looks a lot like the Grand Inquisitor, right? He does have a little bit of that same style and look, yeah. (laughs) Let me rephrase that. Man, the Grand Inquisitor looks a lot like him. (laughs) Yeah. Because, again, this is years before we're going to get the Grand Inquisitor from Rebels. But between the sort of more pointed head, yeah. the eye markings and stuff, yeah. and even that kind of like higher collar. Yeah. They're, uh, they're definitely different, but they oh, yeah. definitely strike similarities. I mean... They're speaking they're, to each other. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, the sun, you know, that pale head, he's got these glowing red eyes, though, compared to the Grand Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, these sort of like LED, just little like pinpricks of red. Uh, yeah, it's like the back of his eyes are lit red, like like a wolf yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, so very, very interesting. But basically, as they are talking, you know, he's asking, is Anakin the Chosen One? And basically, as they're going through this conversation, first Ahsoka pulls out her lightsabers. Mm-hmm. And then when he asked this, Obi-Wan pulls out his. Mm-hmm. And he basically is like, okay, what do you know about this? You must be Sith. And the brother basically laughs and says, yes and, and no. no. <laughs> you know, there is so much you don't understand. And then he just takes his hand and he basically waves their white lightsabers away and mm-hmm. they deactivate there right in the hands of Anakin and Obi-Wan or sorry, Ahsoka okay. and Obi-Wan. Yeah, it's great. They just go down and they just look down and they can just see the empty emitter. It's, yeah, it's not even like he switched it off. It's like he pushed the lightsaber back into the into the hilt. Yeah, just with a little flick of his wrist. Uh, truly, truly interesting and incredible here. Uh, and we'll see more about this later. But it, it's interesting because it's letting us know right away that our characters here are in way over their heads. Right. You know, they have no idea what they're getting into. This isn't just a, a Sith trap or a Separatist trap. At this point, mm-hmm. it's pretty well established that something else is going on here. And then just to punctuate that, he's like, like you better take shelter. The storms can be terrible out here. And then he turns around and turns into a giant winged beast and flies away. Yeah, it's like a giant, like... All right, so imagine one of those Hallmark Sumsums, kind of like <laughs> cylindrical Star Wars stuffed animals. So imagine one of those, but it's like a bat's face with a giant goatee, and then it's got these giant back wings on it, and it's kind of like all black. Um, that's kind of how I like to describe it. Uh, I saw it then, and I still see it now, Of it, it in profile. Like, not when you see it up close, but in, like yeah. just far away, I'm like, it reminds me a lot of Toothless from the How to Train Your Dragon series. Oh, I could see that. Okay. I could definitely see that. Uh, okay. So then next up, we cut back to Anakin, right? And Anakin... Oh, real quick. Oh. So they have to take co- cover yeah. in a cave. So they, oh, yeah. they, they, do they, they, cave. they rush back to this cave right. and we, we see, see Anakin's kind of doing the same thing because he's in the same storm. But yeah, he there's notices... this kind of like lightning coming down from the sky, like hitting the ground where they're all standing. And It's so dangerous. It's dangerous. So as Obi-Wan and Ahsoka take cover in a cave... Anakin, we cut back to, who's doing the same uh, a little bit more acrobatically. And he sees a monastery off in the distance with a giant glowing crystal. And he goes, well, if there's anybody here who can tell me what's going on, this must be the place. Yeah. And so he sets off on his journey. 
uh, when he arrives, he sees another character who we have not yet met, who we come to learn is the father, sort of sitting, meditating on his throne. And as Anakin approaches him, um, sort of anti-Anakin here, instead of uh, you know being forceful, he just kind of sits down in front of him, cross-legged, and mm-hmm. is just kind of sitting there waiting to be acknowledged. Very interesting move, I thought. For He's Anakin. surprisingly diplomatic. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised by that, and I think that that you know kind of says a little something about what Anakin is realizing, what's happening here. I get the idea that he can sense just the immense power channeling through this guy. I could see that, yeah. Now, an interesting thing that will show up at a bunch of times, we also see the motif of these twin symbols that go throughout the entire yeah. rest of the series. So right behind the throne, it basically goes off and almost looks like scales with mm-hmm. these two circles. And one has this rounded flowery design, and the other one has these five, four points sticking out with spikes kind of at the end. Now, the interesting thing is the one with the spikes we have seen in Star Wars before. That is the ancient symbol of the Sith from like the old Republic comics, like mm. Tales of the Jedi and stuff. This circle with these four, this basically start as blocks and at the end of the blocks are three points and you have four of those arranged in diagonal patterns away from the uh, central mm. circle. Okay, okay. And we'll see that a bunch more, but obviously we, we're going to see one represents the son, one represents the daughter. Yeah. And, and he... It's literally a set of scales because he is the balance point between them as he's about to kind of describe. Yeah. So uh, Anakin basically asks, what is it you want from me? And the father replies, to show you who you really are, to fulfill your destiny. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of our first interesting little bit of information here because we've already had these two characters asking, okay, are you the chosen one? Mm-hmm. And now the father is here talking about fulfilling your destiny. So this is kind of the first big piece of content we've had from Star Wars that talks about the Chosen One outside of the films. Well, talks about what the Chosen One is chosen for. Well, right? that's true, too. You know, we'll like, a, a, that episode three, yeah. like, you believe he's the one, the Chosen One, the prophecy will bring balance to the Force, and then we basically just drop that. We're like, oh, yeah, he's the Chosen One. He's important stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only other time Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan brings it up is after he... You know, <laughs> were the lips. chosen one. You were yeah. supposed to bring balance, not darkness. Yeah. So I mean, that is yes. really—it's it, not brought up a lot. No. Um, now, speaking of Obi Wan, that's where we're going yeah. next. But do you have anything else to say about this moment between the father and Anakin? <sighs> so the thing about the father, I just want to mention, is he has a really interesting voice treatment where his voice is almost like doubled. The reverb yeah. is so high, mm-hmm. it's like he's doubled. And uh, I dug really deep into trying to figure out if this worked and I, I can't I'm pretty confident like 98% confident that the voice actor who plays the father also did another Star Wars role now it's uncredited so I couldn't find any yeah. source material to prove this but it's using the same type of voice treatment it's the same vocal quality there's a little bit difference in the probably the difference of era of recording but back uh, in the 90s um, Del Rey made like audiobooks and one of the ones that is formative to me is uh, Dark Lords of the Sith, which is the second part of the Tales of the Jedi like comic adaptation. Mm. And there's Exar Kun's master, Vodosias Basque, who is very important. He's the first holder of a holocron. The entire concept of holocrons come from the ones he's written. And his voice, I feel, is has to be the same as the father. Yeah, you were talking about that. We Lloyd Shear plays the father. We yes. Found. And the uh, other reason I feel like that's the case 
all three of our the, the triad of characters the father the son the daughter I, the reason i think lloyd shear is the father is because all three of them then would fit the same mold of they are previous actors who have worked in star wars as playing different characters because adrian wilkinson as i mentioned played morris brood sam whitmer was in force unleashed as the apprentice star killer and that would mean that the father if i'm right was Master Vodicius Basque, the first voice we heard emanate from a holocron. So that has majesty to people, probably like, you know, like a Filoni who would have come up in Star Wars at a not too dissimilar time from me. I think that makes perfect sense. I, I mean, realistically, I think that could definitely all be true. And let's be honest, this is old home week. They're bringing back all kinds of actors because when we go to the cave, we have these <laughs> swirling camera actions, which are very not the language of the camera work in Clone Wars. Yeah. I can't imagine how much work it was to make that camera move yeah. that way. Yeah. They do a little bit more of that now in some of the newer seasons because they're right. a little bit more capable. It's kind of cool to see. But we end up in this yeah. cave and we start off with Obi-Wan and he's hearing Gwygon. And then after a moment, he sees Gwygon. Which is I... kind of crazy because he's definitely, Gwygon is very much translucent. Um, he's got kind of like this aura emanating from the top half of his body not really force ghost like a little bit more different than that um but obi-wan basically goes what is this place and this is i think one of the most interesting bits of info i think we get that we can kind of trust if that makes sense so yeah guaigan says unlike any other it is a conduit through which the entire force of the universe flows this planet is both an amplifier and a magnet Three are here who seek Skywalker. They, like me, believe him to be the Chosen One. If he is the Chosen mm -hmm. One, he will discover it here. Right? So this is interesting. Because, alright, let's start with the, the low-hanging fruit. Is Gwygon here a true embodiment of Gwygon and of the Force? Or is this in Obi-Wan's head? Um, He's a manifestation who's actually here as much as any of these visions are. In my opinion, yes. Every vision we see here in this place mm -hmm. is real. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's I I don't disagree, but let's we'll talk about it more at the end, I'm sure, as we go. I don't want to give too much away. Okay. So then well, let, let's well, talk also, a little bit more quick, about Gwygon first. Produ yeah, production notes. So fun thing yeah. about Quagon oh. is it's Liam Neeson. Yeah. <laughs> he, he got back in a booth. And recorded this. Yeah. Um, and this is the first time we've had acknowledgement of Qui-Gon outside of little voice snippets that are in mm -hmm. specifically episode two. And then we get at the end of episode three, the fact of like, your old master wants to talk to you. And it's like, Qui-Gon? Really? <laughs> <laughs> and this is great because it sets up some of that. Because yeah. Obi-Wan has like a trepidation of like, Qui-Gon? What? I don't, this doesn't make any sense. But then just the way the conversation in carriages is like, Obi-Wan relaxes. He thinks he's in the presence of his master. Definitely. He's trusting what he's saying. Exactly. As much as he can be in this scenario. And I think it is also interesting that Qui-Gon says, this place is unlike any other. So yeah. you're definitely meant to believe that this is like this unique conduit of the force because it's not the only conduit of the force. Correct. But it's unique. It is. And I love the idea that it's an amplifier, which Obi-Wan's already come to that conclusion. He said, of like, I've never felt the force as abundant as it yeah. is here, and it doesn't make sense why. No. <laughs> and then there's that magnet thing, which, again, I think is kind of back to where I'm saying that, like, I think that octahedron that this was yeah. encased in or the buoy that brings them here 
again has this sort of yanking them away from real the real world towards Mortis, which which is a place because Ahsoka did say one thing that the sensors did tell is like we're on an asteroid or larger rock that is just a biomass. Yeah, we're it's bigger than an asteroid, but I can't tell where we are. Right, That's basically, kind of what she's saying. Um, now we go back to Anakin. He's at the father's palace. He's sleeping. We see he's kind of got his own little private quarters here. He's yeah. resting before the next day's work with the father. And he's visited by his mother, Shmi. Who, again, is played by the original actress. Pranilla August yeah. returns to play Shmi. Which is awesome. Yeah. And and you you can hear it. Like, oh, you can hear, yeah. like, just how... How important for both of these characters that they're their originators. Mm -hmm. And now here's the interesting thing about this, because they start to speak. Mm -hmm. Clearly, Shmi knows things about Anakin. She's talking to him and, you know, they're talking about, uh, well, Anakin's basically saying, you can't be here. You're dead. You know, what is Noth this? What kind of dark magic is this? Anakin, nothing ever really dies. <laughs> um. And <laughs> as uh, he's talking with Shmi and uh, he's talking about his, she, she says, you know, your, your love, you know, your, your heart, it's a, it's a prison. It's not the escape that you think it is. Right. She's giving lots of stuff really that's seductive. Stuff. Like, yeah. you know, you're more than a Jedi. Yeah. You're, you're beyond you're a Jedi, that. but you're more than that. Don't you understand? And it? she's like, let me, let, let me. You need to remove your guilt. Let me take away your pain. Yeah. And as she starts to essentially criticize Padme, she, you know, Shmi accuses him uh, of being a, her of being a, a poisoner. A is poisoner. The word and this is when Anakin, Anakin realizes so, something is not quite right. So here's my question. Is this Shmi or is this the sun? Okay. <laughs> so this is 100%, I think, the son. Mm -hmm. But the question then that raises for me is how does he know these things right. inside of Anakin's mind? I think the biggest uh, giveaway with Shmi being a dubious narrator is the entire time they're talking, the camera is moving because they're circling each other. Mm -hmm. They're circling each other like a duel. Like mm -hmm. there's never this moment of like comfort because Anakin refuses to believe it until like – he realizes, like, well, you're not going to go away, so yeah. say what you need to say and then get out yeah. kind of thing. Yes, that's exactly it. And as he basically, you know, is saying, no, you're not real, uh, it flashes for a brief second from Shmi to the bat and yes. then back to her. Uh, so that's a little bit of an interesting one, too, and I, I think we can assume because then after this, uh, we cut back to ahsoka and it's, we it's ahsoka's turn to have she's a vision having uh the same experience that everyone else is so we're going through our characters here now ahsoka sees uh first she hears herself and she got kind of like this she sort of slowly looks back and forth yeah she hears a voice around the room and, and no one's there and then on like her second pass back all of a sudden she sees herself standing behind the fire an and, older version of herself. And Ashley Eckstein is giving on a little bit more of, like, she's really cutting down the, the youthfulness out of mm -hmm. Ahsoka's voice. So the first time I heard it in the voice, I was like, who, who is that? Like, I didn't quite catch that it's herself. Yes, it, it definitely at first, I think, because while they're similar, they're not identical. And it's also not the same voice that Ashley Eckstein kind of uses later in Rebels. So if you're watching this after already having seen mm -hmm. an older Ahsoka... 
Uh, you know, it might be a little bit different feeling from that. It's too, definitely a little bit different than the model they use in Rebels. Yeah, definitely, she's a got a little more look, prominent yeah. of a forehead, and her her head tail a little bit of a head tails are a little little oversized. Yeah, for sure. But it's it's still cool. It is, it is. I really do like it, and I like seeing it. Of course, uh, now she is warned by her kind of future mm-hmm. self that her master has planted the seeds of the dark side inside right. of her. Do you feel them? Do you sense them there? And uh, Ahsoka goes, he's passionate, you know, he's he's not like any other Jedi before him. He's he's unique. And older Ahsoka is basically saying, well, if you stick on this path, you'll never see your older self. Yeah, you'll never see, you know, I'm a vision of the future and you'll never have this destiny unless you leave, if, unless you leave your master. And the way I find it really interesting is the way she frames this. She says, leaves your master. There's a surprisingly lack of urgency. She just says, you need to leave Anakin. Yeah. Not leave the planet right now. Like, you need to leave Anakin. And I just wrote the note of, like, it's very weird because she will. Yeah. It is. You know. It is odd. And it becomes even more odd with some of the events that take place later in this episode and in these next couple. Because there are some things that kind of change our characters. um, Their paths and how they go. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about that as we go. Now. Back to Anakin and the father. Anakin approaches the father with his lightsaber drawn. And I love this because it just cuts into the shot of the father meditating again like we saw before. And then the tip of Anakin's blue lightsaber just kind of comes in the frame and stops about an inch before his nose. Um, And I I personally am a big fan of this Anakin, especially in, you know, leading into Revenge of the Sith, because I think it just helps amplify that the war has kind of pushed Anakin over, you know, into this inevitable path, I think. I mean, it's the toying of Palpatine and his manipulations that are kind of the final straw, but the aggressiveness that Anakin has gained since losing his arm to Dooku, I think is really what kind of we're seeing here. And the war is corrupting everything. It's just a conduit for all this dark side energy. So Anakin has definitely, uh, will not heed the words Yoda will tell us later that wars not make not one great uh, because Anakin has sunken into that warrior and he has kind of a problem using other using other verbs than fight yes (laughs) you're right uh so anakin accuses the father of being sith and the father says he is neither but much more what a simple view and this is what i like and so are you referring to anakin right you know uh, the father i mean there's a lot of overtones here we'll talk about as we go but basically the father is telling anakin you were me and then in a way that I think still works really well. He grabs the lightsaber and pushes it away. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's fantastic because Anakin's just like, what are you? Like, what is this? What are you? And the father, this is the interesting one. I really want to talk to you about Max. Yeah. yeah. The father says, some call us force wielders. Mm -hmm. The Jedi have never spoken of this. Anakin says, and the father goes, few remember our existence. Yeah. So what do you take this to mean here? I mean, this is a confusing one for me. So. Well, so real quick, let me let, let me finish his little thought here. He talks about the fact that he um, loves his children, but his children, you know, make his heart ache because they are so powerful that he must keep them here. He must force them into balance. The yeah. light and the dark. The and he uses a couple of now, just light and dark day and night. Yeah. We live here as anchorites and as a prison. Only here they are controlled. Light with dark. Too much dark or light would be the undoing of life. 
When news reached me, the chosen one had been found. I had to bring you here. Pass one test and I shall know the truth. So I think this all leads to the idea that at least in the context we're being given, these characters, right? They are something that existed before the Sith and the Jedi broke it into this binary view of light and dark. Mm -hmm. the, the father is a balance point. He's gray. He seems to be in command of both the light and the dark and has this holistic view. And something we're going to see repeated as a motif as we go forward is the sun is connecting to the dark side, but he is not the dark side. Yeah. The daughter is connecting with the light, but she's not the light. They represent those sides, I think. Well, I th they represent the personalities that most commonly end up in that mm. paradigm. They themselves are not creatures of light and dark. They're like their father. They could be both if they chose to be, is what I read. Okay, so I take it as they both have the capability to be both, but they each are essentially choosing a side. But let's talk about that more when we talk about their fates. So, so think, back to yeah. so then back to the force wielder again. I think we're left with this concept of we are before the Jedi and the Sith are simplified echoes of what we are commune oh, with yeah, the force. I think that's fair. I, I think it's very fair at this point, whether it's with the mindset of these episodes or not, that the Jedi and the Sith. Neither of them are right. Weird. I, I, I think that's I think that's what we're learning here. And I think this is as close as we ever get to George Lucas telling us, yeah, the Jedi also kind of suck. They're the heroes, yes, but yeah. They're better than <laughs> Sith, but both are wrong. Yes. And I think that's kind of what we're getting here from the father, right? Right. All right. You ready to talk about Anakin's trial? Yeah, so we go to the trial. So the back porch of this monastery <laughs> literally is is got this almost small arena or amphitheater vibe. It's very cool because it's like this big gladiator pit, totally mm -hmm. flat surface. And on the base of it, it's got this symbol. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a symbol. We've seen this one before, haven't we, Mac? Uh, well, it, well, not at the time. <laughs> at the time, it was our first time seeing it. Uh. Wait, where, where? I'm not remembering that. Don't we see a very, very similar symbol on uh, Octu on the, in the Ooh. in the in that little reflecting pool? I think you're right. It's outside of now. I didn't actually look that up beforehand. No, 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 no. I think you're right, here. though. It, it's definitely something similar. I mean, what we're looking at is a a. I hate to use the very American way of putting this, but a yin yang. <laughs> um, uh, it, yeah. It's also the symbol of Taoism. The idea yeah. of uh, as as a as a semi Taoist, the thing about it is you've got this black half and this white half, and they're swirling around each other. And then you have the imperfection of in our world, the yin yang has a black dot in the white spot and a white spot in the black part to represent the fact that neither can be complete without the other. They're always going to be, if you will, infected by each other. Mm -hmm. There's no way to be pure white yin and pure yang. You are always a combination. And this symbol amplifies that. Instead of there just being there's dots, there's these connecting bridge, essentially, mm -hmm. that shows them interacting. And then we've got these extra swirls to show even more motion in this, you know, tidal mm -hmm. pool kind of symbol. And we should also point out there's one kind of scene here we didn't talk about where um, we see Anakin and Ahsoka, or sorry, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka are walking and uh, they uh, 
from behind get attacked by this giant bat who we know to be the sun yes. and a giant griffin like creature who uh, I think it's safe to well, assume is the daughter. It's fine because that happens only so we can see what happens next, which yes. is they deliver them yes. to this trials ground. Yeah. And so the son has Ahsoka and the daughter has Obi-Wan, brings them down. And then the father, again, proving how he's a mystical creature, keeps moving around. He starts next to Anakin describing the trail. And then he's up on this, like, um, balcony. Yeah. He's talking down to the pit of yeah. where all of them are. Yeah. And basically says, here's your test. You can you, save one. But you must choose. Yeah. And as Anakin is looking and kind of going, well, like, what do I do? What do I do? Obi-Wan goes to him. The planet is the Force, Anakin. You must use it. After wait, wait, real quick. Yeah. After Obi Wan does the noble thing, he's like, "No, it's fine. Save Ahsoka." Oh, sure. Because <laughs> sure, of course, yeah. Obi Wan be that guy. Yeah. Ahsoka doesn't really have the opportunity to say the other thing because she's like, her arms getting like just destroyed by by the sun. <laughs> so so Obi Wan's like, "You need to save Ahsoka. It's the right thing to do." Meanwhile, Ahsoka, oh god, my she's dislocating my shoulder. This hurts. <laughs> and Anakin. Because he can't let go, because he can't get let go of his guilt, right? He can't let go of what happened to his mother because he talks to Shmi about it. He 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 basically goes like, I I'm not gonna choose. This is stupid. Yeah, and as he does this, uh, it's very interesting because we get almost a montage of these beautiful lights and kind of colors where basically Anakin raises both of his hands and he sort of forces the brother and sister to, or I'm sorry, the son and daughter to drop. Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and then as he does it he's kind of holding them each with the force at bay uh, and he pushes them back against the walls and as he's doing this the camera you can kind of see the sky is shifting the clouds the day and the stars is changing are tonight in. yeah the, the arena the floor kind of has lit up with all of these um, sort of starlight like, yeah and, poking yep. through the bottom making it look like sort of spaces above and below him uh, and as he's kind of doing this, he's kind of harnessing the uh, daughter and the son. He sort of pulls them together to the center. And basically, he, he only says one line here. And he's just like, on your knees. And he brings them down in front of him. Humbles them. Yeah. And they transform out of their beast modes uh, and into their sort of physical representations. And um, Anakin has sort of triumphed over them. He's passed his test. He's proved and, he is uh, the chosen one in the father's eyes. And I have a note here, uh, all caps, the cosmic force. Um, because this is the first time we start using the imagery, the visual motifs of what we'll see in later episodes and shows. Yeah. This idea of this kind of navy black with starlight and then these complex woven patterns in that darkness, yeah. which we'll see variations of it going forward but this is the first time we've seen like anakin is connecting to something that is not the normal force he gets access to every day so it's interesting would you consider the world between worlds from rebels part of this same thing would you consider what ray sees at the end of the rise of skywalker yes part of this same thing yeah I would me do. personally 100 percent. yeah me too okay, um cool. there, there there's a handful of moments in star wars where this will be a similar motif yeah but specifically Really nailing it, the pattern that you know that uh, Tao symbol that um, the uh, the yin yang we mm -hmm. just talked about. That Tao symbol is lit up in a way that is identical to the treatment they'll have for the world between worlds, mm -hmm. like how the gateways and mm -hmm. pathways look there. Yeah. So that 
screams it at me. Yeah, I I, I agree completely. So the father reveals he is dying. and Anakin... Oh, no, the father's like, great, see? You can humble my children. Awesome. By the way, I'm dying. You need to take my job. Uh, yes. I mean, that's basically it. I can't live forever, and someone needs to stay here to keep my son and daughter in balance. Mm-hmm. And basically, Anakin refuses, but the father tries to essentially guilt him into it. Well, there's this great moment where the father's like, you you don't want to? That was unexpected. You know, I've been thinking about this for a couple millennium or whatever (laughs) and and i'm like i didn't think you could i mean the choice must be yours i guess i can't make you do it yeah but you're the chosen one you should want it it's prophesized (laughs) (laughs) didn't that other guy who took you from your home tell you about this yeah i mean he should have it we had black and white it's in it's in the books (laughs) but yes the father is is definitely aghast at the fact that like He's like, you, you'll never fill, fulfill your destiny unless you do this. And it gets like, now nah, pounce in. I'm going back to the war. Basically, <laughs> I yes. got a wife. And the episode ends as Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka basically take off from the monastery in the same ship they arrived in. So let me just ask you this. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm assuming they're all pulling from the, the, the great halls of Ralph McQuarrie's art we didn't get to use that we want to use. But is it just me or is this angle of the monastery scream Vader's castle? A little bit, yeah. I okay. definitely can see that. I was thinking that. I was thinking some of the things that we I, see later in the Citadel. Um, Citadel has the same, season, and there's a, even a little sure, bit. So. And there's a little bit of the temple because it's got the five spire kind of thing. There's these four yeah. little towers, and then the big triangular centerpiece. Mm-hmm, but like, mm-hmm. I saw this, and I'm like, that looks like Vader's castle, especially because it's got kind of a slit in the middle that is light pouring through a crack in it. But like is about where we would see the line where we'd expect the lava flows to be. Yeah, I feel you on that. The thing that's interesting about this is uh, we had not gotten any form Vader's castle yet, had we? No. No, nothing, right? No. So that's that's an interesting one for sure, especially when we're talking a little bit about what we think Anakin may know or not know of these events. Well, but like I said, my, my suspicion is the vast castle that was planned for empire has concept art. And one of the concept art is probably the Genesis of maybe this as well as Vader's actual castle. I mean, that makes sense. All right. So let's, let's wrap up our thoughts because we are, we're not done, even though I feel this episode does a good job of making you go like, and they went away. What a weird dream they all had. I mean, it could end here in a Uh, different world. It ends here. And it almost makes me wonder of like, I wonder if there was a point where they were like, well, these are such high production episodes. We'll have to break them out over our season because we can't just do them all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I feel that after this episode was approved, they're like, oh, no, no, we can get the budget for the other two. So just do all three of them. Because while part two and three feel connected, I I really do feel that like until we get to part two, part one could have just been by itself. Oh, it 100% could have been by itself. I will point out that there are many other arcs in the Clone Wars where mm-hmm. the first episode doesn't feel like episodes two, three, and four, or episodes one, two, and right. three don't feel like episode four. You know, like there are definitely moments where one or two parts of an arc won't feel like they could, like they lead into something else. Like yeah. episode one is just a battle that the Republic is facing, but then right. the plot gets revealed in episode two, you know, yeah, that happens a lot. It may Wars. just be the way script approvals or stuff works, but it, like it, it's, it's very interesting to me that we feel like, Oh yeah, no, they're going to go back to the war. Mm-hmm. Th- this is something that will haunt them later. <laughs> um, so the last thing I want to do, the last meditation on overlords I want to have is let's, let's now that we're at the end, 
Let's reflect on the fortune cookie that starts this whole off. Mm, please. Balance is found in the one who faces his guilt. Now, these are usually the moral that the episode's teaching or exemplifying. And in this, I love this concept. And, and, and I mean, Shmi spells it out when she's arriving is the fact of like, Anakin is consumed by guilt. Yes. He is making life so much harder on himself by holding himself accountable for things he couldn't have done. Uh, I agree completely. So, okay. So read it to me one more time. Hit me with that fortune cookie again. It is balance is found in the one who faces his guilt. Okay. So to me, what you could, how you could interpret that, how I interpret that is essentially we know that one of the main reasons Anakin falls to the dark side is because he's trying to save Padme the way he could not save his mother. I mean, that's the ultimate yeah. straw that breaks the proverbial back, right? So what that sort of little bit of wisdom is saying to me is, okay, if Anakin could get over his mother's death and realize that he couldn't mm-hmm. have prevented it, he wouldn't have walked down that same path with Padme later. Right. And possibly not fall into the dark side. Yeah. And as I mean, he ultimately does. And to me, one of the things about it is the conversation has with Shmi is where, again, I'm kind of in the sense of I'm with you. It's, it's, it's the sun is projecting Shmi, but I also think the sun is doing nothing but holding a mirror up to Anakin for him to have his own emotions play out because he mentions to his mom, something, his greatest secret. I have a wife. You met her. Yeah. Um, you know, and Shmi is kind of what she's trying to do. Like, let me take your pain was very much like, look, look, you, yes, out of, you say you out of vengeance, you, you slaughtered all of these people and, and you feel terribly racked with guilt about it. It's like, just let it go. You did what you did and it's done. Yeah. Just accept that and, and move on. And that's where I'm like, I think at the end when it turns, I, I feel that this is Shmi, at least in Anakin's mind's eye or projected through the force or whatever. And at the end, when it becomes the sun, it's because the sun is not actually anything but a reflection of Anakin's understanding of the dark side. It is, is the dark side's avatar. It's the rephrase that not dark side. It's the other side of the force and how Anakin's mind interprets it. Yeah, I, I mean, I can definitely get on board with that. Um, I have some thoughts, but I'm going to save them until the end. So because I think we need some more information. All right. Well, I tell you what, let's just take a break and then yeah, we'll just dive well, right back let's into do this. Ultra Mortis is next. So stick around right after this. So we enter season three, episode 16, which is called The Altar of Mortis. The Altar of Mortis. Interesting that um, the second and third episodes in this uh, trilogy have Mortis in the title, but the first does not. Especially when Overlords is kind of a weird title for it. It makes sense, but it gives them a little more grandeur than I think 
they themselves would do. Like, overlords sound like, oh, yeah, they have power over you. I'm like, well, as we see, it's more of the other way around. It's more Anakin trying to overpower them. It, it's I think weird. it depends on how you take it. Because it's if you take them as physical people who were born the same way Anakin or Obi-Wan. Oh, right, right, as was, beings. Right, then it's interesting. But if you look at them as a, a manifestation of the Force... It gets a little more murky. Then you could maybe say, well, maybe they are our overlords because doesn't the Force control everything? It binds the whole universe together. Yeah. So I think it depends on how you look at it with that one, for me anyway. Yeah. So at the beginning of this episode, we sort of undo the the, the very end we were just talking about in, in the first episode. <laughs> yeah. So where um, Admiral Yular and Tom Kane, the narrator here, is basically just saying like, Mortis, which is the first utterance of the planet's name. So the characters haven't, the characters actually during the whole thing of this never get the name Mortis, Mm-mm. but we as the audience are guaranteed it that yes, this place we're at is Mortis. They've been drawn here mm-hmm. and they have this interaction and Anakin refuses the father's request and they leave or so they think. Yes. So as they're on their way out of the planet, uh, Anakin must be exhausted from his taming of the son and daughter. Yep. So he's sort of sleeping in the ship's bunk as Obi-Wan and Ahsoka pilot them out of the atmosphere. And he has a vision of himself. Anakin mm-hmm. has a vision of himself telling himself he is the chosen one. But then in that vision, Anakin, the other Anakin, turns into the sun. Now, one fun fact I noticed while we were, I was watching this is both of them end up walking on water. Specifically, the evil version comes walking across a river. There's all these waterfalls in the scene that they're at. Yeah. And he's literally walking on water, which is, is like, well, that's very Messiah-like. Yeah. For, Messianic. For real, yes. Um, um, wow. So yeah, I thought I that was... That's a great catch. That That's another one that's like, oh, that's on purpose. And so, yeah, the son starts talking to him. And Anakin basically says, I'll never turn to the dark side. I'll never join you. Uh, and the son basically says, uh, as if there is one without the other. As, And during this, the son. So the voice actor here is Sam Whitmer. Sam Whitmer is amazing. He's awesome. He has yeah. such a crazy range in the way that he can he can throw so much emotion to his voice. He can be your friend. He can be your enemy. He can be kind. He can be hateful. And, and, and flip just, that yep, switch yep. like crazy. And what's great is, so he's channeling the son and there are moments where it reminds me of like the secret apprentice from Force Awakens, which was or, or Unleashed, which was the most important thing he had done for Star Wars up to then. But there's so many echoes of what they're going to hire him to do from here. Uh, because crazy, right? after this, in this show, he'll become the voice of Darth Maul. Yeah. And after that, in Rebels, when they need to bring back the Emperor, he plays the Emperor. And also uh, Chancellor Palpatine in that one thing where he plays that. And so there's a part where Sam Whitmer like, low is the register of his voice. And he's channeling a little bit of that Sidious sound. And it's wild because, A, that is eventually a voice we'll identify with Sidious. And then more importantly, like, he is just molassing through the four. The Secret Apprentice is just a kind of a normal guy. The hateful, baneful, angry Maul. Yeah. And then the seductive and corrupt Sidious. And even in this speech, he's just diving in and out of those modes. <laughs> totally, um, you're you're a hundred percent right. I was um, 
not surprised to find out that this was Sam doing these voices, but it it's always a nice realization. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, here he is again, because he does so much for Star he Wars. He does. And and so it's great that in this mode, there's there's parts where he's like, um, you know, trying to provoke Anakin. Mm-hmm. So it's more of the mall angry. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, just be with me. Like, you know, just yeah. be on my side. And he's and he's like, Well, no, I'm never gonna join join you. Oh, really? Like, yeah. and he's got the kind of palpatine, like, you know, you're a fool. Yeah. I'm more powerful than you could possibly understand. And it's just the sun is a really complex and interesting thing. <laughs> what I like about the sun here is that he's basically telling Anakin, we can destroy the Jedi and the Sith. We can do this yeah, very together. Very Kylo Ren of him. Very Kylo Ren of him. Yes. Like, I mean, it, 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 it's interesting because a lot of what I got out of this episode, mm-hmm. I think ultimately is more interesting when placed through the lens of the dyad of Ben and Ray. Like, I, I think that there's a lot you could even say there. Now, this was conceived and created and produced well before the seeds for those characters were even uh, in the ground. Well, so. one could argue that dyads have already played a part. We never gave them that name. We never sort of gave them the metaphysical, like, yeah. anointment. We, we've talked a little bit before off mic about how I think Luke and Leia could also or be also have been a dyad, but uh, we'll talk about. But the son and daughter are definitely that. representing yeah. that concept, and I think especially in the sense of they're not light and dark; they're just a twin divergence in the force, and that contrast could come in different ways. It doesn't have to be light and dark. I can see that. Okay, so the son appears in the ship and kidnaps Ahsoka. Yes, uh, basically turns into a bat and takes. <laughs> Off of the boarding ramp, and you know they're flying through, which so. is terrifying. It makes me go like, maybe the boarding ramp should have a railing or something, like because it just sort of opens up and they both yeah. fly through. Yeah, totally. Well, it's great because Anakin wakes up and he's he's like, oh, we might have to turn around. The sun, and then he looks back and the sun is in the compartment. So it's like, oh no, that wasn't a dream, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in your dreams. Yeah. I'm also here now, taking yeah. your kid. <laughs> which is interesting though, because I think that means you can rule it out as a vision well okay it all comes back to who this who we think the sun really is but i guess we'll talk about that as but it's great that anakin thinks he wakes up and he hasn't really in the sense that like the sun is here whether it's prompting from his vision whether that was a precursor he saw the sun because the sun was coming it doesn't really matter the point of the matter is anakin cannot escape this destiny and that's what's being just pounded into us during the sequence yes a hundred percent so as the sun in bat form takes ahsoka Anakin and Obi-Wan pursue him in the ship. They're flying through this fog, through all these mountains, Mm -hmm. and as they escape through the fog, um, they almost crash into a giant tower with a green glow. Because the sun zips forward in a really, really fast pace into the fog, and they run to the fog, and they almost crash into this tower. Yeah. Um, And and they end up skittering across the ground, breaking the wings, busting Mm -hmm. the ship up, and sort of end up just grounded you know a couple hundred kilometers away or a couple hundred meters away from yeah. where the tower is yeah and as they as they're exiting the damaged ship obi-wan goes to anakin i didn't think you saw it anakin goes it was a giant glowing tower of course i saw it i love that that's that, just that classic the, the yeah. banter right yeah. the the banter they have between them i even enjoy the fact of like anakin rushes into the cockpit he's like let me take the controls the sun's taking ahsoka and then i just love that obi-wan and very obi-wan was like what in blazes are you talking about <laughs> like just i love that obi-wan is such a grounded person yeah. compared to the two youths he's hanging out with totally totally 
and then Obi-Wan wants to stay back and basically, um, in my opinion, gather intel. Basically, he doesn't understand what they're walking into. He doesn't want to approach this dark tower that we see, which um, just to kind of, you know, let you know. So basically, we have already in episode one, there was a monastery where the father lived. This is sort of like the son's domain. This is his. And, and Obi-Wan says this side of the planet, can't you feel it? It's tinged with the dark side. Yeah, strong with the dark side. But Anakin won't wait. And I wrote as like, Obi-Wan gets it. He is, he understands, he's, I feel he's like tapped into sort of the, the concept of the living force, the moment. And he realizes like, this place is a metaphor. And like, Anakin, this isn't just the dark side or this place is strong in the dark. This is the representation of the dark side in our galaxy. And that is the representation of the light side in our, everything we are seeing here is either connected or being amplified into our galaxy from this place. And he kind of gets that from Qui-Gon, that information of this amplifier magnet thing. But I think Obi-Wan is just basically like, Look, kid, I I took philosophy courses more than you. I can deal with the fact that this is all not what it appears to be. And Anakin's just like, well, that's great, but I'm going to save Ahsoka. So bye. (laughs) And he takes, you know, he takes and he he has to go after Ahsoka. He can't let go. You're right. You're. Hmm. You know what? Okay. What's up? I'm going to hold my, I'm actually going to hold my thoughts because you get an info dump coming at the end of this. Well, not really. It's just more, I feel like we need to have all of the pieces, all the pieces of the puzzle. Before I really say how I'm feeling about it, I think. But I do like that Obi-Wan is very like, well, okay, that's, that's what you're going to do. I'm not, I'm I'm not going to do that, but I'm not going to really stop you from doing that because you're going to do what you do. And they do. Yeah. And, And they do. And at this point, I always find it, I think it's important at moments like this to point out, Anakin is no longer the Padawan to Obi-Wan. He is a full-fledged Jedi Knight. He does not have to listen to Obi-Wan. He takes Obi-Wan's counsel, but he's not beholden. He doesn't have to obey Obi-Wan anymore. Which we never really, there. other than the Jedi High Council, there's never really been a Jedi hierarchy. And hypothetically, you could argue Obi-Wan is a member of the Council at this point. Right. So... That well, he is in command, the other thing about it is but... he is he has also trained Anakin to knighthood. He's a master, yeah. um, you know, and not a master of Anakin, but a master in the eyes of the yeah. count yeah, of sure, everyone sure, in the Jedi. Sure, sure. And I like that Obi-Wan's answer here is like, OK, I know you want to save Ahsoka, but we can't do it alone. This place is too dark. We need the father's help. Mm-hmm. So he already sees that, like, we need to go to the balance guy. He seems to know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's involved. He knows about the local tax laws. Let's get him. Let's get someone who knows his place. So now we cut into a prison where Ahsoka is being held. Yeah. And as she wakes up, there's this little, uh, Im- impish creature. Uh, yeah. How would you describe it? Elf, like a, like a house elf in Harry Potter. It's like a house elf with a hippopotamus attached to it, yeah, but very tiny. And it's basically telling Ahsoka like, Hey, you're, you're trapped in here. I've been here for a long time. I can get you out of these chains, but it's the mental anguish. Yeah. He points to his head of like, Getting out of here, that's eh, not yeah, as easy. Not as easy. And she's and, planting these seeds of doubt of, like, your master's abandoned you, obviously. Yes. You're all alone here, yes. obviously. <laughs> Which is interesting, because then a moment later, uh, this little imp character catches Ahsoka off guard and bites her. 
Yes. And as he does this, um, she sort of gets this, like, she passes out, gets sort of this, like, veiny appearance, you know, her kind of sunken in eyes. When he Um, says, like, you should just forget your master and then just bites her. Yeah. And then he's, then we, we see the reveal of this creature is also voiced by Sam Whitmer. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So this, this creature after uh, Ahsoka passes out turns into the sun. Now, I'm calling this version of Ahsoka Corrupted Ahsoka. That's a good way of putting um, it. I think I have that in my notes as well. Uh, that, that's kind of, I think, the the way to refer to her. Now, this is interesting because you could definitely, if we're taking this entire thing, this entire arc as a force metaphor, you yeah. could very much see that, okay, this is Ahsoka falling to the dark side, right? The sun has just manipulated her into it, um, you know, following him. And... I think when we, if we're looking at this as a big metaphor, as a big vision, as mm-hmm. something that didn't physically happen, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, it's just the sun has the ability to pass on well, this dark side energy. Well, we'll talk about yeah, that. There's but the be one thing about come. it is he plants the seeds. He says that your master doesn't care for you the way you care about him. And really just sets up Ahsoka to be like in a moment of doubt. And I feel the bite is mostly metaphorical of the fact of like, yeah, you could fall to the dark side too. This is your folly. And I'm just exploiting it for a hot second here. Yes. That. Yes. You know, cause yes. she becomes corrupt, but the corruption isn't just cause, Oh, well he butted in her infected. Like, no, no, no. He bit her. Cause he's like, I've got my teeth in you. I've hooked you. Yeah, I know the way for you to yeah. fall. I, uh, I agree. I agree. Uh, okay, so then we cut back to Obi-Wan contemplating kind of how to find the father. Yeah, right? just stroking and, the beard, just yeah. going, hmm, Anakin, always impulsive, always rushing towards something. <laughs> what am I going to do? How do I even find the father? Yeah. And uh, then doesn't the father appear at the ship? Or am I The monastery up? appears behind the ship. That's right. That's he, right. he turns around and the monastery's there. Yeah. It apparently moved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes. And so Obi-Wan basically goes, oh, well, that's convenient. And he just starts essentially, in theory, making his way up the monastery. And we sort of just cut to him entering the the father's, like, entrance chamber. Yeah. And um, once he gets in there, it's it's basically uh, the father warns that his son will fall to the dark side. Which I think is really, really important that his son will will, will fall to the dark side. Not a, he eventually does mention Anakin, but he's like, my son is falling to the dark side. Again, back to he isn't already there. He isn't the dark side. Mm-hmm. He is someone who's also being corrupted by the quicker, more seductive, passionate path, mm-hmm. the impatience mm-hmm. of the dark side. Um, and while he's talking about this, unfortunately, the sun arrives. <laughs> He and, does. Yeah, uh, it's it's not great. Um, the sun basically attacks the father. With red lightning. Red lightning. First time we've seen that. Which is cool. Nice change of pace. Yeah. Um, and when I saw that, the first thing I went to is, man, Palpatine should have really had red lightning in The Rise of Skywalker. Ooh. That was the first thing. Mama, he has that kind of red outfit that he gets, that sort of deep And, and the whole thing with the, the Sith Eternal is yeah. black, white, and yeah. a little splash of red. Yeah. And wouldn't it have been nice if in that final moment where Rey is deflecting lightning back at the Emperor, it would have been colors like that would have given that some scope, like not just Well, then you'd have like blue and, I'm trying to remember. black and that's it. 
Do they both have blue lightsabers at that point? Ray yeah. and yeah. yeah. So two blue lightsabers pushing back red lightning would have been would have been a, a little bit more visually appealing, I think. But hey, but hey, you know that's the rise of Skywalker. Color but, but, don't need it, but uh, especially in that sequence. Yes. Um. Uh. So the sun is basically just saying, like, I hate you. I, I, I don't care about you. I just want you to move. Along. I just want you out of my way. Yeah. And it looks like he's trying to kill his father, but the daughter rushes in and tries to start healing the father and basically says like, no, he'd never kill. He'd never kill our father. He, he would never do that. And Obi-Wan's like, well, he just tried to. And, and <laughs> yeah, Obi-Wan's just imploring. Her and the daughter the is just saying like, you don't understand my brother. My brother is not what you think he is. Yeah. He, you know, and, she sees him as the sympathetic character he actually is. Yes. He's being drawn to this because he's selfish by nature. She's selfless. He's selfish. It's just who they are. They can't help but be that. It's great. Representations of the Jedi and the Sith. Right. I mean, right? I mean, ultimately, that's what we're seeing here. Um, so basically, as Obi-Wan is trying to like get the daughter to take a stand... Uh, she decides to take Obi-Wan to a cave housing the altar of Mortis. Yeah, because she's like, this has gone too far and I cannot enter this conflict. I will not. Yeah. Now, But I could give you a magic sword. So what I was wondering, so yes, so they arrive in this cave and <laughs> basically this daughter says, I can go no further. You have to be the one to do this. And as Obi-Wan kind of climbs down um, onto this, uh, well, this altar, uh, he sees this handle and he takes it. And as he takes this handle, this blade kind of from smoke materializes mm -hmm. on the hilt. Uh, and the daughter basically says, this blade will control my brother. Uh, you cut that as well. Control yes. my brother. Yes. Because we're going to be recontextualizing this in a little bit. We are. We are. And the other thing I wanted to ask here is the daughter says, I can go no further. Can she physically go no further? Are the members of this sort of Mortis family, the father, daughter, and son, not able to get this blade from the altar? Well, the thing about because it that's it's not strange. like it's the chosen one who's doing it. It's Correct. It's mortals. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing that's interesting about this is this is one of the only times we get green. Which to me tells me that it's her space. Because oh. the father is usually using blue motifs. Right. Like when he's standing in his cathedral, which has like Tron lighting. Yeah. It's all like blue <laughs> lighting. The yeah. sun is obviously red. Yeah. And her between her hair and stuff is this gold green. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that all the fire and, and venting that's going on, the smoke is all green, tells me that this is the daughter's weapon and that she controls access to it. But she can't wield it herself. She she will not fight evil. And I think to me, the reason I feel that metaphor is there is when Obi-Wan grabs the blade, it's just a hilt. And then a blade forms out of it. Not unlike the yeah. the more civilized weapon for a more civilized age. And also like, remember here, too. I'm sorry. This is just yeah, literally yeah. just coming off the top of my head. Yeah. Remember here that. If. The daughter is representing the Jedi and the son is representing the Sith. Right. The ultimate sacrifice of the Jedi is not fighting. Right. Right. And so not choosing to pick up their sword. And so I'm wondering if that has something to do with it, too. I think there's partial to that, but I think it's also I, I would also say that it reminds me of the lightsaber and what the point of the lightsaber is. Never for attack, only for defense. And the fact that she says this can control my brother tells me that no one is supposed to get hit by this. Yeah. It's the fear of it. It's the 
it's the fact that it's a symbol that means that like, hey, listen, we need to negotiate. You know, I have a weapon. I don't want to use it. Don't make me use it. This is just to make it so that I can defend myself and that we can talk. You know, just like the lightsaber, the lightsaber is not supposed to be an aggressive weapon. It is only there as a symbol of the badge of office of the Jedi, of the fact they have the authority to do this, but they never will. They will never harm you, even though they could, because that's not their way. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree. So, yeah. So we have all all this stuff at the altar. (laughs) And let's also just be honest. It's kind of weird. We don't get much clarity here because this is the name of the episode. Yeah. And everyone just kind of like, I don't know about you, but he's like. All right, well, I better go and go on this quest and defeat this puzzle to get the sword. And he like basically just elevators down, walks across two stepping stones, grabs it, and all right, let's go. Yeah, it's very I don't want to say anticlimactic because it's interesting, but this ep- all there's no three challenge to it. The challenge is him just grab is just grabbing it. It's just him making the choice to take it. Seems like that's the important thing that happens here is his choice to take that blade and yeah. add it, which makes sense because yeah. that blade what they'll eventually call a dagger yeah that thing's super important going forward <laughs> it is but before we get more of that dagger let's yeah. cut back to anakin who is now scaling the palace yes right so scaling the dark t- dark tower yeah. yeah and as he gets out into the courtyard he sees this corrupted ahsoka ahsoka tries to convince anakin to join the sun and if he doesn't cooperate then the sun will kill ahsoka and then she's talking in this very drugged kind of yes. way where she's she's just like like you've never trusted me. Like <laughs> like she's furious with Anakin of like Anakin never lets her in, right? She's in my opinion, she's in the way she's talking about the speech, she says everything but like I know you're with Padme, why don't you trust me enough to tell me that? Yeah. Right? Like She's talking about that distance that Anakin has from everyone, including her, her, which is she's her surrogate daughter. Right. Like um, and then she also says the fact that she feels more like herself than she ever has like this. And it's because I think she's being brutally honest in a way that she doesn't feel comfortable as normal. Yeah. And so then the question is, is this. This version, this sort of veiny, corrupted corrupted Ahsoka. Is this Ahsoka saying these things or is this the sun manipulating these things? So the fact that we see the sun independent of her in just a few minutes tells me that this is either one of two things. This is Anakin's vision of his failure, a failure of his apprentice. And this is the emotions, just like we saw Shmi, like these are the emotions he's pouring into this situation. Like, okay, well, what if you, what if your apprentice uh, was corrupted? What would that look like to you, Anakin? And this is what it looks like from Anakin's perspective if he had failed at this particular mission. But, and we'll get into this, especially at the end of the third episode, some opinions I have about this. I think for real, Ahsoka has fallen here. And I think it's because... Ahsoka has gained the same problem her master is giving her, which is she can't let go. And she's not the chosen one. It's a slippier slope for her down to the dark side. And that while that bite is metaphorical, the seeds of doubt she has, I see it as she had two choices. She could leave and let go of her master and the things she wants out of her master, the sense of belonging the sense of trust, Mm -hmm. the loyalty, she can leave that behind and become adult Ahsoka as her adult version told her. Or if she stays, 
if she doesn't give up her faith in Anakin, if she follows Anakin, she will follow Anakin down to becoming this. I see it as almost, this is Anakin. If you choose the sun, if you choose to become the dark side, I would follow you and I'd become this. (sighs) Yeah. Uh, I, I think I laid a little heavy on you there. (laughs) I, I, I think I could agree. I, so the thing about this is the thing about all of this, and I was going to say this at the end, but I don't think there's any way to nail down fact versus opinion here. I think this is all open to interpretation. Well, that's, and 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 that's the point. uh, Yes, I, I would agree. I think that is the point. So when I say I agree with you and I agree with these things, I guess what I mean is I could see that being a possibility. We're talking about art. We're talking about interpretations, not definitives. Okay. So through that lens, I a hundred percent agree. Yes. And and, and again, we're in this dreamlike (laughs) world because uh, (laughs) I do love the fact, Hey, come on. We need to go snips. And I love (laughs) you. I hate that. I hate when you call me snips because they start battling and then Obi-Wan joins the battle. So yeah. How did he get here? (laughs) It, it's again, it's this dreamlike quality of like, how did the monastery show up behind, behind the ship? Because it needed to. Yeah. What, how did Obi-Wan, I guess he leapt from the monastery across the Great Gulf to land on this. Because he does kind of jump through a window. Yeah. And then he's there. Yeah. So basically the sun. Um, so as Anakin and, you know, Obi and uh, Ahsoka are fighting, uh, the daughter and Obi go to the sun. And so basically the sun says the father was taking too long to die. And I love that because it's like, it's not malice towards his father. It's just he wants to escape this place and his yeah. father's holding him back. Yeah. Everyone's holding me back. The balance is holding back the dark side. Uh, and that's interesting because, yep. you know, dark side users are known for focusing inward, for wanting to progress fast and quickly and to make these big leaps and bounds. So basically, um, as this is happening, then Obi-Wan goes and joins Anakin in fighting on Ahsoka. And also at the same time, the son and the daughter begin to start to fight. Yeah. So the father shows up to stop them Mm -hmm. and basically throws them outside. So now they're all in the same area. The son, the daughter, the father. They've all ended up in this this courtyard. Yes, exactly. So the son is essentially killing the father with force lightning. He's kind of shocking him more and more. And the father keeps kind of like shrinking away, getting kind of like weaker and weaker. And Obi-Wan throws the dagger to Anakin, but corrupted ahsoka kind of jumps up and catches it one thing we mentioned a little bit of like we both heard the fact that this will control the sun right is how the daughter refers to the blade here obi-wan has jumped logic he says here the blade can kill the sun yeah but the daughter only said it can control and it reminds me of the folly obi-wan will eventually have in the original trilogy where he can only see the direct path to the solution Right. Just like, well, that boy was our only hope. And Yoda's like, no, (laughs) like there's a bunch of different ways to do this. And like Obi-Wan has a tendency to be more logical than most of his Jedi fellows. Uh And he has a he has the problem of sees problem wants to solve it. And same thing at this point from there on out, the dagger is no longer a symbol. It is the weapon that can kill these God beings. Yes. And that's a real dark twist. And that's all on Obi-Wan. Because that's how he presents this, and he calls it a dagger. It's no longer the blade, it's a dagger, which means it's to pierce and kill people. 100%, because as he throws that dagger and Ahsoka catches it, um, she basically gives it to the son. 
and yeah. the son kills Ahsoka by just tapping her on the forehead. Well, he's just like, well, your usefulness is at an end. Tap. Yeah. And then he turns around and he stabs at the father with the dagger. But at the last moment, the daughter comes rushing in and she takes the dagger in the back, protecting her father. Right. And as this happens, Ahsoka's lying there dead on the ground. Anakin's kind of in shock about what's happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the daughter is laying there dying. The son is kind of like all of a sudden overcome with this emotion. He's falling apart. Yeah. Like, what have I done? This was never meant to happen. And he he GTFOs. He cannot handle what he has done. And he just turns into the beast and flies away. Uh Uh-huh. A hundred percent. So the daughter is the first one to fall here. And the father is basically... Um, also over her cracking. body. Yeah, I mean, he's very weak at this point. He's been electrocuted like crazy. And he's lamenting this mortal wound. His daughter has sacrificed herself to save him, and mm-hmm. his son is now murdered, his sister, and it's getting a big mess. <laughs> it is a big mess. Now, here's an interesting moment, and in fact, it's one of the most, if not the most interesting moments in this whole series for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Anakin is kind of like begging the father to save her. Like, I can't, you know, do anything. Well, and one more thing. Anakin is Anakin about this. He really doesn't notice the father and his pain with his dying daughter. Yeah. Anakin's just like, Ahsoka's dead. That can't happen. Who can fix this? Yeah. Someone has to fix this. <clears throat> I'm paraphrasing. He doesn't say this, but I can't lose her <laughs> is really what Anakin's whole motive here is. He... He cannot deal with loss. He cannot let go of anything. And even though his apprentice became corrupted and evil and betrayed them, he's still like, she snips. She needs to live. Yes, 100%. Because as this is happening, um, the daughter who's taking her you know, last breaths is basically telling the father, uh, you, you need to save her. And so Anakin. Oh, and, and, and he also, she's also said, like, it's his nature. Don't hate him. You know, yeah, like about the brother. She's totally she's forgiven the son for what happened. Yeah. Very Padme like. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, very interesting. Yeah. Uh so uh the father behind Anakin, so Anakin kind of takes his hands and places them sort of on the heads of both the daughter and um uh, Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. And the father behind Anakin, Anakin's eyes kind of light up white and we get sort of another kind of moment of what we saw at the end of the first episode. Mm-hmm. And he transfers the life essence from the daughter to Ahsoka, who comes back to life. Pre-corruption. Yes, yeah, pre-corrupted, and she doesn't remember what happened. Now, mm-hmm. my first question for you here is, does Ahsoka not remember anything, or does she only remember what happened, like, before the prison? I think to the bite. That was my interpretation of it as well. But I'm asking that as a setup for something for so- later. Uh, as uh, <laughs> as am I. Let's just say yeah. that before she was corrupted is where I think that note is. Okay, me too. I think we can agree on that then. Okay. So um, at this point, the father says they must leave so the son cannot take their ship and leave the planet. That is the thing that it basically, the father has trapped him here. There are no ships for him to escape. Apparently his bat form cannot survive in space. And, you know, we've already made it clear that ships can't get communications out. Right. So the father's basically saying, leave me here. Leave my son here. Go take your ship and leave. You need to go. And and the one other thing he notes that I like is the fact of like, the Sith will grow in strength as my son falls to the dark side. I found that really interesting too, right? The son is unbalanced. The father says he will mourn his daughter's death. And 
So again, back to even the father recognizes his son is falling to the dark side. Yeah. Um, which again means the dark side is something independent of him. Um, and it's great. And so they, they are going to head back to the ship. And one thing I liked, I noted here was at sort of the end when they're leaving, there's just a little touch of the force theme and a little bit of binary sunset there. Um, I think just sort of reflecting on what we're going to see Anakin do, but just the trepidation that like Anakin didn't want any of this. And now he feels real responsible for what's happening. (laughs) He does. Yeah. It's, Anakin is realizing this whole thing revolves around him now. And, and accepting that, that. Yeah. And that he has the ability and the power to kind of control the outcome of this situation. Yeah. And as we make our way into the final bits of this episode, we see that uh, the father buries the daughter in a mausoleum along with the altar, the dagger of Mortis. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of where the episode ends is with the father in mourning. Yeah. And let's do our reflection here. The fortune cookie for this one was he who surrenders hope surrenders life. He who surrenders hope Hope. surrenders life. Right. All right. Well, now here's the thing. Yeah. My mind is fully in sequel trilogy territory because that's just where we've been, you know, over these What? You mean when you watch these in spring of 2020, you might have a different view than I did when I watched them in, like, yeah. spring of 2011 yeah. or October so or whatever it was? So this is maybe my fourth or fifth time seeing this arc. So I haven't watched it yeah. a ton. But this was the first time I watched it specifically to take notes. And then when I was done, I just sat there in silence and thought about it. And, you know, this was the first... Uh, first... Hmm, how should I put this? This is the first arc of the clone wars that i think tells us something more than just what's on the surface and i think that it's interesting so when you talk about that fortune cookie giving up hope is giving up life that's what it was he who surrenders hope he surrenders surrenders life okay so i mean you can look at this it's so many parables throughout the star wars universe right right luke loses his hope so now he's lost his life as a jedi he's living in isolation cut off from the force yep right um lots of other characters i don't want to say they've given up their life by losing hope but lots of other characters find themselves at their lowest when they've lost their hope perfect example is the most direct is episode three anakin's whole thing about not feeling guilty and afraid to lose Padme. He becomes hopeless about it, which is why he turns to the dark side. He's like, I need this power because I can't just trust it'll work out. Yeah. It's the only way he feels like he has control. Right. And, and I think the surrender life is not just, Oh, well, if you're hopeless, then you won't be able to survive. I think it's more of those without hope are quicker to kill (laughs) because that's sort of the the son. The son doesn't trust his father to ever let him escape or that his father's path for him is right. So he tries to kill his father and ends up killing his sister because that is always the folly of someone trying to control fate is they are going to cause others to die around them yeah. and perhaps kill themselves. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Um, I think that's totally fair too. Wow. What a crazy episode. It's so deep. Um, this is one, I feel like this episode makes a little bit more sense when you look at it as a trilogy as a whole. I think it's hard to understand some of the bits of this episode. The dark middle chapter. <laughs> without uh, exploring the finale. So, Mac, are you ready to head over to Ghosts of Mortis, the third episode? Oh, yeah. Let's all do right, it. Let's do it, and then we'll talk more about what this all means. 
find ourselves in the third part of the Mortis trilogy, Ghosts right. of Mortis. And at the end of the last episode, you know, uh, basically the father had just lost his daughter and basically is telling our heroes, it's time to leave. The, my son Get cannot out. take your ship. You need to leave. And so we cut back to the ship. Oh, where in the narration, I love the one thing is oh, they're yeah. recapping this and saying like, oh, the father tells them to leave, leave, you know, and the son is, you know, killed. the Like they're just summing it all up. And then like the final line as they're zooming in back yeah. to the shuttle is the narrator going and Anakin must face who he really is, which I'm like, that's a little foreboding. And that kind of helped frame the episode a little differently than how my memory of it was. Interesting. Because yes. there's the obvious tell of what we're going to eventually have Anakin see here but like I think yeah. there's more to that line than just that that's a good call out let's talk about that more in a minute here so sure as we zoom in on the ship uh which remember is damaged from the previous crash of Obi-Wan and Anakin uh yeah Obi-Wan oh and yeah Anakin. it's like wings are busted it's, oh, it's yeah. a mess it, it looks bad uh and Ahsoka must repair because remember she is apparently our our um I don't know, should we our tech person out of these three? Well, the interesting thing is she's Which... more techie, but there's a weird thing if she's... Okay, so there's this great banter between Anakin and, and Obi-Wan about, like, how, how busted the ship is. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ahsoka just pops up, very Empire Strikes Back Chewbacca with a welding goggles, like, just pops up with these goggles from this service pit and yeah. is basically uh... like, well, here's the bad news. <laughs> and I love Obi-Wan. One, she's like... Well, I've got bad news and I've got even worse news. <laughs> no, what, what do you What do you want first? <laughs> Everyone's like, "Well, why don't you start with the bad news, but give it a tinge of optimism." <laughs> a hint In of the, optimism. That classic Obi One way, and she doesn't. Other uh, than she's like, "I might be able to fix it to get us out of atmosphere." After that, no promise. <laughs> and I love she's she's got these goggles, and I think they're really cute. I think they're pretty much they're pretty much the same goggles like Hondo wears yeah. on his helmet and stuff. And she's really techy, and it. I thought it was a little bit strange because while we have seen her being especially more like computer tech mm -hmm. than the two of them, I would think Anakin would be the uh -huh. one in the pit, right? Me too, right? Because Anakin, I mean, he yeah. built a pod racer. And a droid. And a droid, yeah. By himself when he was nine. nine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, seemed odd to me, but we know Anakin has something else he needs to be doing here. Well, he, I also feel like the interpretation there is like, well, is that Anakin letting her do it because of learning because he's preoccupied is it because or or again you get into the more of like or is this a reflection of him right yeah like she's representing his youthfulness and his mechanicness i don't know so i really buy that but i'm just saying like yeah, there's there's a little both it anything know. that is not absolute total baseline to their character goes like well, what does that mean yeah. stroke beard think hard it is i mean that's what these episodes are all about um and as she's giving this information Anakin basically says to Obi-Wan as he's taking a speeder bike down the landing ramp, yeah. I need to get the father's blessing before I leave. I just feel like if I don't, I'll regret it for the rest of my life. Which is weird. Again, it's him digesting his 
responsibility he's now feeling for this place. But what's interesting about this is, yeah, that responsibility must be coming completely internally from the Force because the Father's already given him permission to leave. Right. At the end of the last episode. Well, he says his blessing. I think it's one of the things of like, I don't want to be told to leave. I want to be told that I'm no longer obligated to be here. I think he wants the Father to give him permission to do what he did in episode one. Which was ignore this responsibility. And as Anakin takes the speeder bike and he approaches the father, the father basically is burying his daughter, right? Right. And the father says he must kill his son and Anakin wants to help him. Now, one thing I I noted here was I think it's interesting, these burial mounds where they are. This is a motif we we saw originally from the Ralph McQuarrie paintings for Alderaan. These like domed like um, piles. Mm-hmm. And these will eventually become Lothal's terrain. This same kind of mm-hmm. these sort of ripply domes mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that naturally form because it's they're not in. At first, I'm like, oh, they're burial mounds, but like, no, the mausoleums are on top of these burial mounds, yeah. so it's it's a natural formation, and I I kind of interpret it as a light side place. Right. Because, again, it reminds me of places we'll see. The other thing I think is I wrote that I thought was sort of interesting about this is there's like a lot of these. Who's all buried here? Like how many of the father, daughter and son have there been? Very, very good question. Especially when it feels like the father's been around forever. Right. Yeah. They feel like they've been immortal. And yeah, and the father also, and and I mentioned in the last episode that there's the part where Anakin's standing on water, and I'm like, oh, that's messianic. Yeah. Uh, there's another one here, which is the daughter is entombed in a thing that has this rolling stone. I'm like, that's very yeah. judo-Christian, yeah. the entombment of Jesus totally, as well. Totally, totally. Uh, okay, now next up we get a little bit of a, another scene with uh, Anakin and his first master. Yes. Why God? Yes. So we've already seen Wagon talk to Obi Wan. Yeah, because the father's like, you gotta kill, you gotta kill my son if you want to be free of your your burden. Yeah. Um, and the Force will decide how things will go down because Anakin's like, well, you can't fight the son. It's like, well, the Force will guide my path. Maybe I can. Maybe I can't. It doesn't matter. It's out of my hands. Yeah. And Anakin's like, well, what are we gonna do? It's like, well, go and ask, and you will know what to do. Yeah. Do I stay here and kill, or do I leave? You know, what is the right path to go? And Wagon says, neither. You will find another way. Yes. Now, that's another one, because do I run away with Padme, or do I stay here and kill a bunch of younglings? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Neither. You will find another way. Okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, you cannot kill him. You will go deeper and find another way. Interesting, right? Yes. Um, And what does he end up doing? Well, we'll talk about it in a second. But before that, uh, the father confronts Obi-Wan. Where has Anakin gone? Well, he's gone to the well of the dark side. (laughs) And I love, I get the feeling of Obi-Wan going like, oh, sounds like a pleasant place. Great, great. Just where I want my apprentice with lots of power to be. Now, I I also made a note of one other weird thing is there's a part where Ahsoka's like, all right, well, I think I got it almost fixed together. And Obi-Wan's like, well, work on these parts of the ship and don't work on the other parts. She's like, but I was just putting it back. Just Ahsoka, listen to me. And I'm like, the old man who doesn't like ships suddenly showed up to give really pertinent information about how the ship should be treated. And I thought at the moment that was odd too. I yeah. thought that was going to be a sun moment where like the sun is trying to use her to escape, but no, but no, she's just like sighs and goes back down to the pit and keeps doing what for the second time, there will be a third time where she's just doing something with the ship that she's not sure that it's the right call, but people have told her to do it anyway. <laughs> 
Yeah. And uh, as she's doing this, uh, Obi-Wan takes out a second speeder down the ramp and follows after Anakin. So Anakin is spiraling down this volcanic pit down mm-hmm. to this like um, volcanic rock pedestal at the bottom center, which has the Sith symbol, that symbol of the sun yeah. carved into it. And as he basically like drops off his um, speeder and he's starting to get his whereabouts, the sun appears. And the sun uh, has a little bit of a monologue here, but it's sort of like, what if I could show you your future? That's what he's saying to Anakin. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing. To yeah, we don't with. we don't need to be enemies. We can bring peace. You know, the, yeah. the whole corruption. Of... The, the classic emperor. Move. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and, and he basically says, you know, what if I could show you your future? Know yourself. Uh, the best you will become, you know, the, the who you will become. Uh, and then oh. we have, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. We, yeah. we, we got a little ahead of ourselves because this oh, actually now, after the sun sets that up, we go back to Obi-Wan who at this point has decided I need to go after Anakin. Yeah. He does that now because yeah. there's two things. One, he said, he said, he says one of my favorite lines in this entire show is the father's like, like, no, they must, they, he must face his own destiny. You cannot interfere. He's like, if we weren't supposed to interfere, then we wouldn't be here. Like his interpretation is Ahsoka and I are here because we're meant to interfere. We yeah. are meant to be part of this. Yeah. And it really reminded me of, again, his training with Qui-Gon, the living force, the here's what's happening in the moment. I don't care about the past, the future, whatever is happening in the moment. I'm here. I can do something. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Screw your, mm-hmm. your vision of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And he zips off and Ahsoka comes back down the ramp and she looks around and then she just kind of goes back. Which I think is really interesting because I don't think she sees the father. She has no lines here. She simply like basically looks like she just saw Obi-Wan zip off in the speeder and go, huh, I wonder where we went. Well, I got to get to work. And the father's standing there and she doesn't acknowledge him at all. Yeah. Which tells me that the father is maybe only appearing or manifesting to Obi-Wan in this. I mean, it's definitely possible. Yeah. It's definitely possible. I don't think there's anything... That clarifies one way or another, but no. yeah, it's very interesting. And so now we're back to the, the sun and Anakin yeah. are starting to circle and Anakin's basically just like, I'm not going to join you. I don't want to see your, your tricks, your magic. And there's a little bit of battle of heroes playing mm-hmm. softly underscored in the soundtrack as this circling is a circling on another volcano world. We will yeah. see eventually. Yes. Now this sort of all transforms into a vision for Anakin. This uh, swirling yeah, black pink smoke, mist just yeah. swirls around him. Uh-huh. Um, and and he I, sees a lot here. Now, what did you catch? You probably wrote down more than I, I did. <laughs> uh, so I tell me what you saw, man. So the thing about it is this has got a very Raiders of the Lost Ark feel because we are spinning around and Anakin is like literally clasping his ears mm-hmm. and closing his eyes of like, I don't want your visions. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see my future. Mm-hmm. And as it's swirling around him, we see Sidious. Yeah. You know, basically saying, you have mine. And and kind of just presenting this master mm-hmm. who's going to rule over his life. Then we see a youngling and we see the blue light uh, appear on him of the lightsaber igniting where he's going to go kill a bunch of them in the Jedi High Council chambers. Then he sees Padme and she's like, Anakin. And then for just a brief second before he's disappeared... Her neck gets pulled and she's getting force choked as she will on Mustafar. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, Obi-Wan facing him and screaming, you were my brother. Yep. We see Alderaan explode. That was the one I found really interesting because that's where he like really breaks down. Because at first it's almost like it's in black and white. Like there's not a lot of sound. It's very abstract. And then things like Padme. Color. And then Alderaan. Yeah. And I think the thing with Alderaan, I think the reason that that's the part where he's like, it's whatever defenses he had up, he's heard all this stuff. Regardless if he wants to, he's seen it. He doesn't want to. And I think Alderaan's the part where I think he hears those millions of voices suddenly screaming and then being silenced. I think he knows that echo. He feels the weight of murdering or realistically letting a planet get murdered. Yes. He doesn't pull the trigger. Yeah. Some nameless gunner does, but it's Tarkin's fault. Anyway. And then the last part. They have like a console on the Death Star set up where it's like seven engineers and they all pull a lever. So they don't know who actually blew up the planet. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's how we did it. No, I mean, that's how we did it in our world. Yeah. uh, Is there was a number of those kinds of things so that no one had to live with the guilt of causing nuclear war. Yeah. That's what I'm pulling from. Yeah. I wonder. I don't know. Uh, How many pieces of that stock footage? We just repeat it and just have that one gunner pull it. I mean, we used it for uh, Return of the Jedi. So, I mean. Yeah. It's probably the same guy. Probably. Um. And then it all ends up, we, we've spun the camera around to the point where Anakin is on his knees. He's basically letting his hands drop to his side and kind of looking up, screaming in this pose of, you know, complete um, uh, brokenness. Just like, no, as the smoke forms Vader's death skull mask behind him. Mm-hmm. And we just get that nice, subtle, just that little breathing behind it to just remind us of like, yeah, Anakin, your your destiny has become this evil, evil man. Yes. And the son promises, hey, we will kill the emperor. We will bring peace to this galaxy. And Anakin is at a very pliable spot here because he li- he said he says it's like I will do such terrible things <laughs> like and what it reminds me of. It reminds me of him. He has the same moment in Palpatine's office. He hesitated. It cost Mace Windu. The Jedi are dead. There's no way for... And Anakin's dead to right. The only thing he has left is to save Padme. That's all he has left. And at this point, yeah, killing youngins to save my wife? Sure. Why not? I've come this far. I've done... I'm this broken. I've let these terrible things happen. I've accepted I am this terrible person. I got to scrap together what I can from this. Mm -hmm. Maybe peace? Maybe if I have peace, this will all have been worth it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and this is basically Anakin's in this episode, you know, if this episode, if this uh, three episodes represents Anakin's journey, this is his fall here. Yeah. Uh, because when Obi-Wan arrives on his speeder, um, he arrives to a corrupted Anakin. Right. And uh, it's dark eye sockets, yellowing eyes, yeah, the whole yeah, thing. Same veiny appearance that Ahsoka had. Uh, but now we get basically Anakin basically saying, leave me alone, pushes the speeder that Obi-Wan brought off into the flames of the volcano, right? Mm-hmm. And then takes the other remaining speeder and exits, leaving Obi-Wan trapped down below with the sun. After they battle a little bit. Meanwhile, uh, Ahsoka has gotten the ship up and running. She's sending an evac order. She's she's calling for help. Yeah. And no response. And, and no response. But she seems to be getting a signal out, which is new. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, and the sun basically only has one word to say to Obi-Wan here, and that's, he's mine now. He's mine. Well, yeah. yeah. One, one, one little thing, right? Yeah. And, and Anakin, when he leaves, kind of gives the, again, the corrupting, we'll see, because he has the line uh, of, it's the Jedi that stand in the way of peace. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, ugh. I've seen what I've become. And for this, you join him, Obi-Wan says, mm-hmm. because you've seen your future. If anything, that should mean you're able to change it. Right. I mean, Obi-Wan's yeah. not saying that here. but And even the son stated earlier in this in a seductive way, the idea of the future by its nature is uh, able to change. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which is ironic because he uses a vision of the future to, well, I guess from the son's perspective, change it to his favor. Yeah. Um, so Obi-Wan, thankfully, Ahsoka does have the signals working, calls out to Ahsoka <laughs> and is is like, uh, you need to destroy the ship. And she's like, I just fixed it. Destroy it. You need to make sure that the son and Anakin can't leave. Anakin's fallen. What? <laughs> just listen, Ahsoka, I don't have time to explain to the children what's happening. Just do what I say. And she's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and she dives into the pit and starts futzing with something. Yeah. So she takes off uh, this piece of the ship from the console. So it, I, what I would interpret is like the key. You know, I'm sure that's not what it is in Star Wars, but she basically takes the key to the car. So she takes the, yeah. Take off. Yeah. She takes the, uh, some critical the, part. The firing cylinder, the whatever. Spark plug. Yeah. Who in knows? a car, she's taken the spark plugs. Yes. So ripped it, off the distributor cap. Something like that. Yeah. And so, basically, uh, Anakin arrives at the ship um, because Ahsoka's had forewarning. She's ready for him. She sort of hides, lets Anakin go into the cockpit. And as he does, she jumps down, steals his speeder bike, and gets away with the essential piece. And Anakin is left stranded at the ship, very upset. (laughs) Well, And I like the fact that Ahsoka does this cool little, like, Spider-Man move. Yeah. And the other thing I like about it is, she also doesn't at any level confront Anakin because she ain't ready to do that. No, not at all. She's like, not I don't know what Obi-Wan's talking about. My master's not a bad guy, but I'll yeah. trust Obi-Wan enough to and not confront she Anakin. She also doesn't remember when she was corrupted. Right. right. It's not like there's been time for them to explain it to her. Well, so she, yeah, so she doesn't know. She just knows that Anakin, oh, well, maybe maybe it's the sun and Anakin's skin or whatever. I'm just going to steal his bike and not pay attention to this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if if my notes are correct, next up, we have a big moment between the father and Anakin, right? Right. Because, yeah, because the only thing there is just the son and Anakin are both like, eh. he's like, Anakin, we need that part. Anakin's like, I know. <laughs> and then it just kind of yeah. cuts to, yeah, the the a father appears um, after the son disappears yeah. uh, to confront Anakin. Yeah. And, um, and he basically says, if there is to be balance, what you have seen must be forgotten. Mm-hmm. And basically, the father strips away this vision that Anakin just had about his future. And he said earlier that nothing is set in stone. Yeah, your future basically your future hasn't been written yet. That is what could happen. Yeah, but there are other choices you can make to make that not happen. And the one thing I like about it is, to me, this sets up a lot of ways the crossroads, mm-hmm. the the world between worlds, mm-hmm. the idea of like time isn't the way you think it is. Like, yeah, your dest- destinies and the weave of destiny is more important than any temporal stuff. Yeah. And basically says, you saw something you're not supposed to see, and I'm going to take that back from you because you yeah. were that, that wasn't yeah. meant for you. You saw a potential future. Right. But at the same time, <laughs> it's the future that happens. So is it, it well, no, in no, a no, way, no. it contradicts itself? No. It, if but... there has to be balance, balance you ha- what you have seen must be forgotten. And he erases the memories, right? Uh, and then the sun goes, so we'll circle back to that in a second. When we come back to the second scene yeah. of that, but 
at this point, the son goes to where his sister is entombed. Yes. And he's broken and he's sad. He walk he pushes the stone aside. When he walks in, the stained glass is painting that symbol over her coffin, which also has the symbols written into yeah. it. He pushes it away. He comes down to his knees and he just laments the fact his sister is the only one he ever truly loved. Yeah. And you get that whole, like, you know, she's the only person who got me. She's the only person who understood me. My dad never got it. Uh, yes. Um, and proving that he's not here just for his own goodness, he takes the dagger. Yes. And what what are you planning to do with that, buddy? Yeah. Nothing good can come from yeah. you taking that dagger. And he does reconfirm that his sister is the only person he ever loved. You know, this right. is this is his only love. He doesn't care about their father, but he does care about her. Now, this is back to something I said in the second segment, which is this is another reason I believe that dagger is hers. Yeah. It's the light side. Because she's entombed she's with, with it. And I think it's because it's it's her property because she's the only one out of this cosmic trilogy that would be allowed to have a weapon that could kill them because she's the person who would never use it. Makes sense. Ma yeah. yeah ma makes sense. Makes um, and sense. of course, now it's out and about. So the son's super going to kill his dad with it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's there's more. But my note's got a little light here. So I'm going to let you so, from here, we cut back to Anakin, and Anakin's waking up from the the mind transference, right? The the, the erasure of memories. Mm -hmm. And I find it very important to me that when this is all done, the father basically says, my son has broken the laws of time. And so the future you weren't meant to see, I've taken, you know, I've erased that. Mm -hmm. And the way he says it makes me go, oh, I didn't erase your memories. I've taken that time from you. Like, I've literally snapped that. T you were on a volcano. Now you're here. And that's why you're trying to figure out what happened. I've literally cut that piece of time out of your existence, mm -hmm. which, again, leads me to the world between worlds and the crossroads and the idea of like, no, no, time is wibbly wobbly. It has rules and we're supposed to obey them. But they it's not law. You know what I mean? It's, I could interpret it as the living force has to follow time. The cosmic force does not. That's a great way of putting it. That's how I very much. Yeah. Right. Um, right. 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 I can. Yes. And I, right? I like that. Uh, that I would like be my that. thought. Okay. So we need to get to the conclusion here because this is some of the most interesting stuff coming up. Right. Yeah. So we've got a moment here where everybody's together. Everyone arrives. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it, right? I literally have to yeah. know, just everybody shows up. Yeah. They all come together. Um, where are they at the monastery or are they, they at are the daughter's back, tomb? No, they are back at that. Um, the father has appeared with Anakin at that courtyard, the one with yeah. the, the Tao symbol on the back. Yeah. The place where the trial that's, happens. That's, that's right. where that's the finale the happens. Yeah. And the son arrives and he's just, you know, yelling at his father, like, this isn't my destiny. I need to leave. Yeah. And the son is like pleading once again. He just he he's already told Anakin of like, listen, there'll be an opportunity. You need to take it, kind of thing. And he's like he's basically just accepting the fact he's lost his son. Yeah. Um and the father pleads with his son one more time of like, see the reason in this, you know, stay here. Don't, don't go out there. You, your presence out there will ruin everything, right? Yeah. It'll bring darkness to the whole galaxy. And the son's like, no. And so the Jedi like kind of raise their weapons to try to defend the father. They get easily pushed to the side yeah. and the father has taken the dagger yeah. and he's staring down his son and the son gloats like father, you won't kill me. And the father 
goes, you know, basically has the, the feeling of, no, you're absolutely right. And he turns the dagger and stabs himself mm-hmm. right through the right through the midsection. And he basically reveals to Anakin and to the audience that uh, he did this because his son's strength runs through him. It's the only way to stop his power. Yeah. And as the son collapses by his dying father, um, bereft with grief, Anakin comes up behind the son and just stabs him with his lightsaber. Because the father told him there would be this moment. This is the moment where he doesn't have the power. This is the moment where he's mortal enough he can be killed. Yep. And uh, Anakin... Now, this is interesting to me because Gwygon tells Anakin, no, you will find another way, but yet he ends up having to kill. Mm Mm-hmm. And if we're back on that metaphor train... Right. Yep. It could be the same thing that happens to Anakin again in the near future. Yeah. Uh, so I found that very interesting. Yeah, because um, it's it's just it's great. And the son is broken. He was just like, like, please don't die. And there's this just dark, dark thing of like the father. His last lines to his son is, I always knew there was good in you. Yeah. Which is something we all are going to hear again. Uh-huh. <laughs> but not for like four movies. <laughs> um, and as the as the son is dead and the father is dying, the father kind of issues his last little line here of and now i die knowing the role you will play this is to anakin yeah you have brought balance to this world you will do it again for the galaxy Galaxy. but beware your heart uh and then the father fades into the force collapses yeah like yoda and obi-wan and luke and Leia and Ben and who else have we seen fade i think that's it uh so as those jedi fade into the force uh, same does the father. Yeah. And this is very interesting because not only is this the first person we see chronologically who fades into the force. Right. Right. Um, it lets us know, I think something else too, uh, you know, as we get farther into here that, um, well, I mean, ultimately so, what it means is the father is part of the cosmic force. Yes. I mean, because, that's the, cause the son and daughter don't. Yeah. They, 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 they have mortal bodies that need yeah. interred or just lay there on the ground. Like yeah. they're, they're not what he was. Okay. So I have some thoughts about that, but let's wrap this segment. All right. We'll so, save it for the- <laughs> so at this point, uh, the rocks that have been floating on Mortis crash to yeah. the ground. The, the, the diamond that hangs over the monastery crashes in the monastery and starts causing the base of the world to collapse. And as all of it's coming down on them, the entire scene fades to white and we find Anakin with his face on the console asleep. He picks himself up to Rex chirping in. And he's like, "Like, come in, Commander Skywalker. Come, at, come in. He's like, Rex, uh, what, where, where are we? Where are we? Where are you? What's going on? Yeah. Um, and it's like, sir, we're, we're waiting to rendezvous. You went off the scopes for a minute there. And, and they all, like the three of them kind of look at each other. And they're just very, very like, Oh, I think we were off for a little more than a li- than a minute. <laughs> yeah, and they all look at each other, and there's just just this very Wizard of Oz kind of thing of when well, you were there and you were there. Like, there's just this sort of knowledge between the three of them. If it was a vision, they all three had it, and they can't really explain it. And because of the nature of this TV show, we see them head off towards the starship. Because, as far as I would interpret this. They came out of hyperspace where the ship is, you know, the rendezvous point. And everything before that is only known to these three characters. Yeah. 
You know, they yeah, left Coruscant, fair. entered hyperspace, they go on a mortis journey, and then all of that just sort of gets popped out as they just appear out of hyperspace mm. from Coruscant where they were supposed to show up, and they meet Rex, and they get on the ship, and we're done. I, yes. I mean, I think it's all, it's all, while it's all open to interpretation, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I have a lot to say, but should we move on to this final I say segment? You what, so we're going to go to an interpretation segment yes. where we're going to dig into all the, uh, I'll talk about it later. We'll yeah. dig into all of those. But now, we do have one thing before that. One thing before that is let's look at the fortune cookie. The yes. fortune cookie for Ghost of Mortis is he who seeks to control fate shall never find peace. I mean, that one is the that most... one's a nail on the head. Yeah, I mean, because it has. I would say mm-hmm. three principal characters who are dealing with that message. Sure. You've got Anakin Obviously, and this is more yep. predictive of Anakin yep. in the sense of like his folly will be doing this. He's yep. trying to stop something that the force is telling him is going to happen. Yep. You know, when he's having visions of like, I saw my wife dying. I'm like, yeah, cause you're going to kill him, idiot. Yep. <laughs> you're going to kill her. So stop it. Stop trying yep. to control fate. The tighter you hold your fist, the more will slip through your fingers uh-huh. kind of message. Uh-huh. You have the son who's fated to be anchored here and only live his life on Mortis. And he denies that. And he's doing everything in his power to escape this place that is probably the only place he can exist. Yeah. And the father is also been trying to control his children, realize, but he he's realizing, no, I will die. And whatever I've equipped them with is all that they'll have. Like I can't control them. And my attempts to will end in all three of our deaths. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, it's heavy. Oh, heavy is an understatement. I think uh, some of the most, hmm, how should we put this? Uh, the most, not only interesting star Wars content for me, but some of the star Wars content that pushes the boundaries, the farthest. Let's talk about how far those boundaries get pushed and what they affect in what is going to be us unloading this, right? Yeah, All so right, let's just get around right. for the fourth segment right after this. Okay. All right. So now that we've done that. Yeah. So if you haven't uh, gathered this by now, maybe, hey, maybe this is your first episode of Sway. Uh, Weird. Special episode, which, if my memory serves, this is only our third Um, special episode. Fourth. Prediction episode of episode nine, the holiday special, the episode nine. I don't count the holiday special as a special episode because it's numbered as a normal episode. Well, it's not special because it's going to be. Every year. It was so, released on a Wednesday too. Whereas oh, this true. won't be. That's true. Uh, so 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 this is our this is our third extra special episode. Yes. So the reason I'm bringing that up is if you've heard our other ones that come before this, you know they're a little bit more loosey goosey. So yeah. here at the end, we are literally just gonna talk about some of our thoughts yeah. of this trilogy. Um and kind of philosophize about what we think it all means. All right. Let's start by let's talk about the hanging stuff we had. Let's just talk about yeah. these three episodes and then we'll get into their ramifications in the media that follows. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So the thing about the Mortis trilogy is there is 
I think personally, this is the best Star Wars gets. Um, uh, yeah. As as a person who studied Eastern philosophy, it considers a huge grounding point of mm-hmm. my own personal spirituality. Like this, I adore. Anytime the Force is being talked about as a religion, as a philosophy, as a as a cosmic thing, yeah, I'm always into. And I think it's it's interesting because. This pushes the force farther than anything maybe has in Star Wars film. I think it's the most explicit that George Lucas and his team of writers went into. Let's have a philosophy class. Yes, I agree. So my question then is, okay, you've got this beautiful episode, series of episodes, that's about the philosophy of the force. Correct. Why do we spend so much time? I, all right. The point of these episodes in my mind mm-hmm. is to let us as an audience know we're not meant to understand every aspect of the force. We're not meant to know all of these powers and all it's of supposed these things to give it grandeur. Yeah. It's supposed to give you what Yoda talks about, about how it's unknowable. The future's always in motion mm-hmm. and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff that's been said. It's giving it a face. It's giving it a visual exploration of all these themes that have been these nebulous, talked about, speaking in riddles kind of stuff. And says, well, look, just in case you didn't understand the the dark side, here's the sun. He's going to represent that corruption, that selfishness and how it leads there. And here's the daughter. She's grace and selflessness and how it leads to the light side. And here's the father, the poor sap who has to try and balance these cosmic abilities that, you know, he, he isn't either one of them, but they are both him kind of stuff. Sure. Okay. Um, and I think the reason that this happens in Clone Wars is twofold. One, I feel this is George Lucas just trying to, clarify where he was and what his personal view of all this stuff is Mm -hmm. in a way that he didn't have time in either trilogy to really dig in. Because you think about like episode one and you have the living force and the midi chlorians and talking about like focus on the moment and how the council doesn't see that. Like you can feel George Lucas had some ideas of the functions of all of this force stuff that a two hour movie that needs to be faster and more intense just doesn't have time to, to breathe. And he really never gets an opportunity. Like even in episode three, things are moving so fast. He barely gets to comment a little bit more on some of this stuff. It feels like a lot of this should have been an episode two. Like if you're going to put it somewhere, this, well, because when you look at the other two trilogies, I mean, hindsight, right? Yeah. When you look at the other two trilogies, episodes five and episode eights, are the ones that are most focused on the force. They're the ones that are most focused on our characters internally understanding their place in the universe. And, and it my, feels like when you look at a trilogy, yeah, that the middle is the place for that. Well, and I think the problem with that, and uh, I think one of the reasons people don't like episode two is uh, episode two is busy with something that the other two movies don't have to carry, which is your primary protagonist having a romance. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, but, episode, but uh, Empire has it. I'm like, no, no, no. Empire has it for secondary characters. Luke isn't. (laughs) Yeah. Luke is spending his time training on Dagobah. And if Anakin was free of having to court Padme, like 
you could imagine Obi-Wan would have had plenty of time to talk about the Force. In fact, he does because he talks to Dooku about like the fact that, oh, there's this parentage. Yeah. Yoda begot got Qui- or, um, Dooku, who begot Qui-Gon, who begot Obi-Wan, who begot Anakin. Like, there's this family tree, and he's talking about Dooku, and Dooku is expressing how I am a darksider and I serve the Sith, but I don't do it for the reasons you think. I'm not just some black hat wearing evil. Like, we have some of that in episode two. It's just with the secondary character, it's not nearly as important and it's not nearly as invocative as what we do with the Mortis trilogy, which is the chance for Anakin, the chosen one, to have his time on Dagobah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay, yes. Um, and that's what this is. This is this is the tree. This is the cave. This is the yeah. interpreting of symbols and trying to understand what is this grand cosmic thing that mortal minds aren't meant to understand yeah. in a frame that mortals can at least have a shot at understanding. Okay. So then for that, let me ask you, does that mean that, all right, is this entire thing that we see, so yes. this entire arc, is this a metaphor or symbolism for what is about to happen? Basically, um, Anakin is going to have a point where he can choose what path to walk, right? To yep. bring balance to the force. Instead, he chooses to snuff the light side out by killing most of the Jedi, right? Which is the daughter dies first here. The light side dies first. Right. And then eventually comes back around through his heart, through love, through the things he was warned about by the father and also destroys the dark side by right. throwing cities Which... down a pit, right? Yeah, which has always been my interpretation of the balance yeah. is the fact that Anakin, by destroying the Jedi, removes the light, then he removes the dark, and then the two are back in harmony and equal equality again. There's no Jedi, there's no Sith, the universe is at peace. Mm-hmm. I, I, yes, okay. We get complicated when the sequel trilogy says yes, but we need to make another one. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that later, but yeah. just the idea of like, at the time this was created... Yeah. Episode three is out. This is the most obvious interpretation is the idea of he brings balance by destroying the light and then the dark. The other way I think you can look at it is, is it's basically saying Anakin is powerful enough to influence the past the Force chooses Mm -hmm. if he gets involved. But that doesn't mean he has to. Right. That's the other way I look at it. And we see the denial of the call in episode one where he doesn't want to take this responsibility, even though he's shown that other than the father and even more than the father, he has the ability to bring the light and the dark to heal. He makes them kneel before him. And let's be honest, that's the insanity he's in at the end of episode three. Yeah. Because he's killed all the Jedi and he feels terrible. But when he sees Obi-Wan, he's like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm going to kill the emperor, too. I'm going to rule everything. With these two hands, I will bring the light, the dark, the universe will kneel to me, and in my empire, there will be peace. And it's like, whoa, dude, you're all the way to crazy town now. Mm -hmm. And okay, so that then brings up this question I had. So the father says Anakin brought balance to the force of this planet, right? You brought balance to this world, you'll do it to the galaxy, yes. So he did this by killing all the force users. I mean... Right? I mean, that at least on its surface level, that's what he did. Well, it's not the balance that people want, but it's balance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If there, I, I, I recall the line from uh, The Incredibles, once everyone's super, then no one is. It's like, yeah. if you get rid of all the force wielders, then the force is in harmony. 
because no one is trying to bend it to their will. Yeah, it's letting the force. And so then that's kind of my my thought here is this is, whole thing is a metaphor for his entire journey, right? First he mm-hmm. kills the light, then the dark, and he leaves it at kind of a scale of zero, right? Yeah. A balance of zero, zero. Yeah, it yeah it tears it out, just mm-hmm. zeroes out everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, so this was kind of as I had time to think about it more. Mm-hmm. This was kind of where my mind ended up, kind of where my final thoughts were. Now, throughout our talking today, I think I have a few more things maybe to add. But, <laughs> you know, you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. So after I had finished all three episodes, and I kind of wanted to try and contextualize it in a way where I personally could make sense of what this uh, what this arc is trying to tell me. So essentially, Anakin arrives and is supposed to take over for the father, kind of reigning in both sides of the force and balancing it, right? We talked about that. Instead, what happens is the light first and then the dark are both broken down to nothing and destroyed, leaving the planet to balance itself and regrow to start anew. Uh, The Mortis trilogy was made at a time when Palpatine was dead and the force was in balance, right? At the end of episode six. So, okay, if that's the case... Could this have been the original intention of the episode to parallel Anakin's journey? Um, you know, the daughter even says we are the beginning, the middle and the end. Yep. Is this whole thing, the daughter, son and father representing Anakin's life and the different paths he could take throughout it? Yeah, I think it's a morality play just showing the internal struggles of Anakin Skywalker right yeah. out in a cosmic space. Okay, so if that's all the case, right, if we can give that at least some credence, does that mean that all of the Jedi who we have seen who have sort of faded into the cosmic force? Yes. So that would be Anakin, Yoda, Obi-Wan, Luke, Leia, and Ben. Yep. Does that mean that when they fade into the cosmic force, that is the force acknowledging you are more than Jedi? You understand the force in the way that the father did, in the way that the universe is meant to. Well, we can dig into this. Okay, so <laughs> one of the thing I did as part of research here is I checked in on the episodes that touch on this. So the first set I did was there's a duology in Rebels, um, which is the the wolves and the door and the world between worlds, yeah. and those two directly are repeating. Yeah. Mortis, because basically the Empire under the direction of Thrawn is excavating this Jedi temple on Lothal that Kanan and Ezra have visited. And on the one side wall is a giant mural that this uh, Hayden, this um, uh, minister to the Emperor, Mm -hmm. is investigating. In fact, he captures Sabine and is basically having this art history talk with her. And we see that the door, this this well, what's going to become a door, this motif, this um, uh, mural has the figures of the daughter, the father, and the son. Yes. And Hayden states that this is a symbol that repeats itself in Jedi history throughout Jedi history. Now, recall that during the Mortis trilogy, they're like, we we don't understand this. We've never heard of these symbols. Like, if you're Force Wielders, how have we never heard about you? Yeah. Which to me interprets that, um, well, yeah, it's it's all throughout Jedi history, but Jocasta News not in archiving that. 
This is the secrets of the Jedi. This is deeper lore. This is in Holocron, the books that Yoda has. It's in that stuff. And the Emperor, who is taken in residence in the Jedi Palace to steal everything the Jedi were and knew, I think the Emperor has access to these ancient Force wielder archetypes, these characters. Yeah. But the average rank and file Jedi, even in their height, have no idea, have never seen this before. Mm-hmm. And to me, the most important thing I get from the Mortis trilogy, and I'll I'll also be honest, I was already learning about Taoism at this time. So this is kind of like a real formative time for me to be watching this. Taoist philosophy is really about the fact there is no good and evil. Okay. At all. Okay. You have your Tao, your way, the thing that you're supposed to be doing, the cosmic destiny that you have. And it's not predetermined. It's, it's, I like to think of it as like, it's a slot. Right. And if you're in that slot, things move smoothly. Things go right. Things just travel along the way they're supposed to. And if you try to get out of your lane, get out of your slot, that's when folly and harm and problems occur to a person. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not good or evil. It's not, oh, if you stay in your slot, everything will work out for you. It's like, no. There's a, you know, maybe there's a firefighter and their destiny, right, is to fight fires and their destiny is they will die saving someone in a fire. They cannot fight that if they try to save themselves, right, when they're supposed to die, right? So if if you were going into the burning building, he's like, oh, this is the one where I die. I know this is the thing. You should follow your Tao and go save that person's life that you are predetermined to save because that is your purpose. That is your way that in this crude plane of existence, we're stuck in when we're driving around these meat suits, that's your destiny. And if you fight that folly, horror, awful things will happen to you. Right. And so if that fighter fighter didn't go in there, that person dies. That's yeah. the most obvious threat. But that person has no longer can follow their Tao. Their Tao has reached its end. They're no longer following it. So their life is just going to be shambles from that way out is sort of the underpinnings of it. Now, this came from a society that was very cast like. Yeah. And so it's a lot easier yeah. for you to just just do your job and everything will be fine. <laughs> um, but it still echoes us to today in the sense of. I feel for a lot of folks, you kind of know when you're doing the right thing and when you're doing the wrong thing, irregardless of anything else, right? Mm -hmm. You have that sort of innate knowledge of like, I have a bad feeling about this. I shouldn't be here. I should go do something, right? We get those promptings. And I feel that that is kind of the cornerstone of why Taoism still has practitioners and um, folks today. George Lucas was into Eastern Eastern mysticism when he wrote Star Wars. Yeah. The Force and the way the bigger people in the Force talk about the Force is very Taoistic. Yeah. We talk about destiny. We talk about fate. And the people who, who see that are okay with it, right? The people who are the more wise, like Yoda and to a lesser degree, Obi-Wan, mm-hmm. they can deal with the fact of like Obi-Wan sacrifices himself. Right. He lets Vader kill him because he's like, I'm more powerful as a symbol. This is my way. Yeah. I don't want to die. I'm human. Of course, I don't want to die. But this is more important than my life. You know, Yoda makes a number of calls where he's accepting fate and destiny that it has to play out the way it does. Luke has to go to Cloud City and it's okay because that's not the only way this can turn out. Right. There are other paths. Okay. Yeah. So so taking all that into interpretation. 
and specifically because the symbol of Taoism, the yin yang, is literally in the planet uh-huh. Mortis. I think one of the things I remember being frustrated with podcasts and reviews of these episodes at the time was everyone went, well, the son's the dark side, the daughter's the light side, and the father's the the balance, and we got to balance these two forces out, and duh. And I'm like, no. <laughs> it continually states the son is falling to the dark side. Yeah. It continually states the daughter is selfless, the son is selfish. Yeah. It is representing what they are. It's their way. Yeah. The son has to be selfish. He can't help it. It's his Tao. It's what he is. Yeah. But he doesn't have to be evil. He just has to be self-centered. Him trying to control his fate, trying to grab the reins of destiny and say, well, I don't want to stay here anymore, is him fighting his Tao. His Tao is to be here and be the selfish one. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is all of those mm, personality traits, let's say, of the sun would be things that someone like Yoda, for example, would say are passed to the dark side. Right. And we talk about that as, you know, the son is falling to the dark side. That makes sense. He has those traits. But what the father is saying and what I think is you're saying and what I think we have come to know about Jedi in a bigger way. And, well, mm-hmm. sorry, about the force in a bigger way, not about Jedi. Yeah. Is that everything needs to work in balance. You yes. cannot be 100% towards the light. You cannot be 100% towards the dark. Because when you're 100% towards the light, you're the Jedi and you fail. When you're 100% towards the dark, you're Kylo Ren and you're being called back towards the light. Yep. Because you know that this darkness isn't the only thing that exists for you, right? People like Palpatine, who are the truest embodiment of evil, and people like Yoda, who are the truest embodiment of good, mm-hmm. neither of them are right. Correct. I, I think that's what we're meant to so- interpret from all of this. As I mentioned when we first saw it in these episodes, the symbol, the yin-yang, represents the the inability for light and dark to be here without each other. Yeah. They swirl around each other. Right. They take precedence at different times. But that is a simplistic view to assume that one is controlling the universe and the other one is not. You know, we see on the planet Mortis, death comes every night and life begins every morning. Like... It is referring to that cycle, the great sure. wheel of turning. And, sure. and the thing with the Taoist symbol is the white has a speck of black. The black has a speck of white. Yeah. There is no way to be one or the other. And that's why the father says that's a simplistic view. I think that's why Luke in The Last Je- Jedi is like, it's hubris to think that, you know, you can just have one without the other. There, that There's no way you have to have these things. There's no way to control them. It is hubris to think you can. And that's why Jedi like Qui-Gon and like future Luke, you know, sequel trilogy Luke, um, feel like they are more than what the Jedi were. Like they are trying to forge a new path and they both went about it in very different ways. Yeah. And you see even characters like Quinlan Voss and stuff who, once you embrace that there is another part to you, you just have to accept that. Don't let it control you. You are still a willful creature. You are still something that can choose. You still, you haven't lost free will, but you have a lane that you're supposed to stay in. And there is no way in the mortal sense to understand what its conclusion is, where it's going. Yeah. And the best thing is just to, like, like Qui-Gon says, focus on the moment. Your focus determines your reality. If you want to look at this as bad, you'll assume everything's bad. If you want to look at something as good, you'll think everything's good. Yeah. It's neither. Focus on right now and what is actually occurring and what yeah. is actually in front of you rather than trying to make it 
preordained to fit whatever mold you want it to. Yeah. And that's Anakin's folly, right? He tries to control destiny. He sees the death of his, you know, Yoda puts a nail on it when Anakin kind of comes to Yoda in episode three and he's like, hey, um, Master Yoda, um, let's say I have a friend. Okay, a friend. And let's say that they got married hypothetically and uh that friend's wife he gets uh force visions that that wife's gonna die what should he do <laughs> what my friend what should my friend do and yoda's like don't fear for people who die they go and rejoin the, the netherverse of the of the force do not fear for them do not mourn yeah. for them you know be happy for them that they get to move on to the cosmic force and no longer contain, you know, they get to be the luminous beings. They're no longer tied to the crude flesh. And, and that's Anakin, a very simplistic view in its own way. Yeah. Right? And, but but Anakin's, oh, Anakin's like, yeah, that doesn't work for me. So, <laughs> but it's that whole thing of like Yoda is ready to embrace this thing holistically. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the Jedi have this simplistic view of it themselves that, you know, Yoda fights the Emperor. He's like, well, I'm going to go stop the Emperor now before this, you know, this Empire gets started, which is arrogance. It's the belief, well, the light will defeat the dark. That's what's supposed to happen. Good guys always win. Yeah. And also going outside of what Yoda says of, I'm not going to be the one to attack. Right. Right. Like it, right. it's when they break from their belief system and they let some of that dark side in, that's when they lose themselves. And I think ultimately it's, you have to grow with both. You have to learn and practice and train with both. Because yes. when Obi-Wan goes to kill Anakin and Yoda goes to kill Sidious, they're doing things that are against the Jedi way. They're going out for blood to kill, yeah. right? And even though it's for the greater good, they still believe that what they're doing is right. And ultimately, if Obi-Wan and Yoda, who are both these pure versions of the Jedi Knight, Mm -hmm. if they had trained in part of the dark side, if they had been able to let some of that in, but still retained their good nature, they could have been better than what they were. And they could have stopped the force from going out of balance, which it inevitably does. And you see this play out in other media too. Like the Harry Potter series deals with the fact of, again, trying to treat things as absolute evil, absolute good doesn't work because everything's more nuanced and tinged and, and different. And I think that is the Eastern philosophy that Lucas is trying to expound is there's the dark side and there's the light. And these two forces are always in conflict. And I feel like what he's trying to say is what Taoism kind of teaches, which is don't try to defeat the dark side. You can't, it has to exist. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you need to understand the much harder thing which is it's a cycle mm-hmm. and there will be horrible things that happen in your life that lead to amazingly great things in your life yeah. and there are amazingly great things that will lead to horrors yeah you know um you can see that with you know anakin falls in love which is great it's a light side thing you know jedi you know they say that they don't have attachments but they have an overall attachment to life they want everyone to be free and happy and democracy and all yeah. this kind of stuff yeah. they want that but to have that is going to bring you great pain when you lose it. And so when they lose the Republic, it's sad and dark and horrible, but that darkness had to come from that light. And in the dark times, we see hope, the rebellion, you can't snuff out the light. The light still wants to exist. And, and I think at the end, the whole idea of this cosmic balance is understand that in this world, 
we can't see the whole picture. So you just have to, the light has to fight the dark. The dark has to fight the light. And if they are in balance, that means that the tug of war is always staying in the center. And that sucks because it means it's a world of constant conflict and testing and challenge. And one might say that that's the whole point of the living world. Now, I mentioned that I watched in addition to the Mortis trilogy, I watched the world between worlds, uh, the wolves and the door, but Mm -hmm. relevant to this is I also watched the last three episodes of, okay. The original last three episodes of clone wars. (laughs) Okay. The the second group of last episodes for clone wars. So in the last three episodes of season six, Yoda goes on a spirit journey and we learn more about like, Kind of, again, I feel it's like Lucas going like, well, before I sell this to Disney, I just want to say everything I needed to say about the Force before we're done. Because yeah. he talks about the midi-chlorines and he goes yeah. like, they're a good idea, you idiots. They're great. <laughs> like, he puts the final nail on, if you interpret the midi-chlorines as science explaining mysticism, you're wrong. Yeah, The midi-chlorines are just the biological signature of how this great cosmic force connects to you. You know, it's not creating the force. It's what the force is connecting you to because it talks about the living force and the cosmic force. These are where these terms get defined. And it starts with Yoda going with Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon saying that like, you know, he's been led to Dagobah. Yoda's walking around and he hears the voice of Qui-Gon and he's like, is it you? And he's like, yes, I've been chosen by the force to manifest to you, to be your guide. Because you have been chosen by the force for another journey. Right. And he's talking about the fact of like, well, how, how is this possible? And Qui-Gon's like, well, because the force wills it that I am able to speak with you. And he's like, well, can I see you? And he's like, no, my training wasn't complete. I cannot manifest that way. I can only guide you in the way that I'm doing now. Which is one of the reasons why it makes Qui-Gon showing up to Obi-Wan that much more interesting on board. Yes. Right? Yes. It because he appears. Yeah. And I think that just talks to how much more of a conduit Mortis is. Yeah. Um, because Yoda from there, he goes to Dagobah. He learns about um, this place and how it's pure. This is a place in perfect balance with the force. Mm-hmm. The dark side and the light are fine here. Yeah. They're balanced yeah. because they're separated from all these wills and all this energy to try and fight it. And it also talks about the fact that the living force, as Lucas is now defining it, the living force is the force that is generated by all living things. It's what Yoda speaks about of, you know, life creates it, makes it grow. That's the living force, the one that beings can touch and tap into and animates them. Yep. In the second episode, Yoda goes to a place where the living force and the cosmic force are in perfect balance. Mm-hmm. And he meets these priestesses who represent these different emotions and they're challenging Yoda. Yoda has to literally face his dark side. Yeah. Yoda literally has to like deal with the fact of his own hubris. They yeah. say that, that he's like, well, I've already dealt with my fear. I've already dealt with anything. I'm Yoda. I'm fine. And they're like, no, no, no. There's still something you have to deal with. And it's that hubris. It's yeah. the hubris that will hurt him in episode three where he thinks he can fix it and he can't, he thinks he can undo order 66 and he can't. Um, but on this world, they talk about the cosmic force is the wellspring that creates the living force and the living force feeds back to the cosmic force and back to this motif we're talking about of it's It's a a circle of life. (laughs) 
It is. It's this great circular wheel where everything connects back to everything else and everything has equal and opposite reactions. Again, balance is not a static state. Balance is the dynamicism between good and evil, life and death, dark and light, warring with each other and equaling out to balance, that it's active. It's not something you can stick a pin in the scales and now everything's balanced forever. Yeah. Balance is something you constantly have to fight for. And I think that's something we've seen in Star Wars many times over. Yes. It's not just one crux decision that changes. I mean, it can change your destiny in your life, but one decision does not define you. Okay. And now that I've got that a little bit framed, let's go back to the world between worlds, which is arguably one of the most controversial things that ever happened in Star Wars. Yeah. Because we went to this cosmic place and... I do remember at the time everyone going like, how does this place even exist? It doesn't make sense. And I'm just going like, you remember Mortis, right? We went to a giant D8 and it opened up and led to a planet of of imagery. Like, this is not the first time Star Wars. Yeah. Remember, remember the cave. Remember you're failing at the cave. Well, there I, wasn't actually a Darth Vader in the cave. So as someone who has come around on the world between worlds, all yeah. I'm going to say here is I can understand it because one is Anakin and one is Ezra. And to a certain group of fans, Anakin and Luke are the be-all, end-all. They're special, special. Yeah. So I want to read, because I wrote down, there's a whole ocean of quotes that begins on the world between worlds. Because in The Wolf in the Door, the loath wolves that are in the mural go and form a portal. And Ezra, his last moment in that, he hops through it. Mm -hmm. And we see this just black space Mm -hmm. with this triangular portal. And we're just slowly zooming out of it. And all we're hearing is lines from the trilogies and so you have like yoda like wonderful the mind of a child is and then this is really important because this is directly cut from the mortis trilogy is obi-wan saying what is this place and qui-gon repeating it's a conduit through which the entire universe is flows so i'm like this is mortis not literally but i mean this is the same material the same stuff of Mortis. This is the cosmic force that living beings can go to. It's the it's the fulcrum for the cosmic force influencing the living force, maybe. Yeah. And so Yoda uh, continues yeah, with wow. luminous beings, are we? And then Ahsoka pops in and she's just when you think you know the force, you find out how little you actually know. Yoda, train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Yeah. Older Obi-Wan. What you need, you already have. Unfortunately, you seem to be letting it all go. This is when he's talking to him on Tatooine. Kanan, don't let him lose his way like I did. And then this sort of picks up and Ezra wakes up and he starts trying to understand this place. He's walking on these transparent barriers and little like ripples flow from his feet as he walks. And the pathways go in all kinds of crazy directions. And there's all these different endpoints in this crossroads. We hear Obi-Wan say, the force is what gives a Jedi a power. It's created by all living things. It surrounds us. Mm -hmm. It binds us, you know. And then there's a moment where, because we're cutting back during this to Sabine's interrogation where we talked about the Mortis, like, you know, the the, um, mural. But one thing it comes back to that I don't think I interpreted at the time it happened is there's all these indistinguished voices and you can't catch any any part of them and then you have stuff like yoda saying let go and then you hear ray ray is in the mix of all of this which means 
it's the future and not just the past. Interesting. We are okay. outside of time here. Yeah. Well, but we're, I mean, it's not just Ray's line that lets you know that. I mean, if you're hearing stuff from episode four. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, but I, but, I feel you anyway. Uh, yeah. Cause the Obi-Wan line is from episode four. Yeah. The previous Obi-Wan line is technically still part of rebels. It's yeah. earlier. Right. And, 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 you know, it's basically like, you know, you know, this is the energy force that binds us all together and yeah. Ray's like, I believe that. Like, she's got just that little line of, of that. And Maz enters the sound and she's like, what you're looking for is not behind you. Yeah. Uh, and Leia, this is our most desperate hour. Anakin, you would never make it as Obi-Wan's apprentice, but you might make it as mine as he arrives at this door that has an owl sitting on it. Yeah. Now we've seen this owl before, we have, and Ezra yes. even comments like, "Oh, this is that that owl creature that was always around where Ahsoka was," and that owl's name is Morai, and it's a bird with green hair and yeah. a white body. It's the daughter. We saw she had a griffin-like form when she's in a beast mode before, and one of the important things that comes here is. We go through the whole thing where the archivist is, you know, oh, the father, the son, what do you think these are? Oh, they're archetypes, all that kind of stuff. And he talks about how the shifts in the hands positions will lead to how they close the portal. Yeah. And Ahsoka lives. Ezra pulls Ahsoka out. Yeah. Uh, out of time. Right when she's supposed to be murdered, right after the duel with Vader. She doesn't die. She ends up here. And when Ahsoka lives, we kind of hear um, like Ahsoka going like, kind of waking up to her new surroundings and her first kind of thoughts are like Anakin, because that's the moment she just was in was yeah. realizing Vader is her master. <laughs> and we hear Vader's voice there and it's Obi-Wan once thought as you did, you do not know the power of the dark side, which is this echo of Ahsoka realizing that her master's gone. Now, when Ahsoka calls Mora to her, uh, Ezra's like, like, oh, oh, you know, she's like, yes, we're very old friends. She saved my life once. And it looks like you've been able to do it again. Now, this is important. And this is the whole whole reason I have a whole bunch of notes about yeah. this. Is, this moment leads to Mortis happened. Mortis is an actual occurrence. Everyone was physically there. Ahsoka did die. The daughter died to bring her back to life. And this manifestation, because uh, it goes back to um, the mural and they're talking about the the owl is on the daughter's shoulder. Yeah. And it's like, well, perhaps that's, you know, um, a symbol of her or and like Sabine kind of coaxes like, well, or maybe it's her in a different form. Yes, maybe this is her as a spirit guide. And we get to the idea that Ahsoka's magic destiny is the fact that she has the the essence of one of these force wielders hanging about her. And that's why later in her life, she'll be able to do what her master can't do. She lets go. She gives up on the Jedi Order. She walks away from it. She does what she needs to do to get away from the fate her older version on Mortis told her about. Of If you don't leave, you know, you'll become that corrupted Ahsoka. That's my interpretation. Yeah. It's like, you'll become that corrupted Ahsoka. The only path for you, there is a different path. And your path is really long compared to most people. Yeah. And it, what, it really made me feel really comfortable with something that I remember people being just beside themselves frustrated with which is fine which was well why does ahsoka get to live why does ahsoka get to be plucked out of time and survive this is weird it's time travel it's making star wars flimsy and i'm I like felt the same way oh yeah i felt the same way the first time i watched those episodes and i think that interpretation is fine yeah. but when you know that's the daughter yeah. 
when you know that this is, you know, when you really match it to what happens next is Ezra basically goes, wait, if you lived, I can save Kanan. And he runs off yeah. to find Kanan's portal. And when he finds it, there's Kanan holding back the fire and trying to stop you know, it from consuming the ship. And Ahsoka's like, no, you can't. And Ezra's like, what are you talking about? You get to live. Why can't Kanan? And she pretty much states, it's like, you can't save your master for the same reason I can't save mine. This is the moment that Kanan was most needed. If you pluck him out of this, you will all die. Yeah. He saved you. And if you take him from this moment, he can't be there to save you. And this to me is like, this was the the secret inside that episode that I think a lot of people just didn't see or didn't understand, or it requires more watches to interpret. But as Ahsoka is reflecting on the fact of her moment hasn't come yet, you know, she is needed by the force somewhere else. And that is why she is being plucked out of time. It is not, oh, well, she got saved because Dave Filoni likes her a lot. That's part of it. But yeah. in the context of the universe, Ahsoka needs to live. Well, she, yeah, her story isn't over. Yeah. That's what you're saying. And when you say, like, Dave Filoni likes her a lot, yes, but also because her story isn't over. I have full right. faith that he will not have any qualms about killing that character when the time is right. No, when her uh, when her purpose is served. And that's the whole thing is, like, this sets up the last season, uh, the last episodes of, of Rebels where... Ezra does the same thing. He goes off and fights Thrawn wherever they go, right? He does the sacrifice he needs to because that's the moment he needs to be where he is. Mm -hmm. And it really wraps up a lot of this destiny stuff that Mortis is talking about. This is why I think the father does not erase Anakin's memory. He literally slices that time out of Anakin's life because the laws of time are, like you said, for the living the cosmic force has no future, has no past. When Yoda is talking to Qui-Gon on, on Dagobah, Qui-Gon says, I come from a place where there is no past and there is no future. Yeah. Right? So take all of that and we see that Ezra sees a vision of Palpatine. And we have no idea what timescape Palpatine's in, but he has some pathway in here. Yeah. I, I, my interpretation is like, oh yeah, at the bottom of the Jedi Temple, he has some chamber that allows him to access. There's another one of these murals and the Emperor's figured it out, but maybe he can't pass through it because he's not meant to go there, right? But he sends fire through it, which separates Ahsoka and Ezra. Ahsoka goes back to Malachor and appears basically after the duel, but alive. And we just don't know how long after. Yeah, we have no <laughs> idea. And she goes on yeah. on her path. And then we see Ezra rush back and he ends up back on Lothal and he and his friends do do the work to touch the sun and put the sun and the daughter back in balance, which closes the portal. And so we are no longer able to, to see that. And one thing I also want to mention that I just, as I'm looking through my notes and see what else I didn't <laughs> already say, one other thing that um, I thought was interesting was the vision where um, Yoda sees the future at the end of his arc where he sees what the Clone Wars is going to end up with, where he sees his future and his destiny to become this creature that must wait for the right moment yeah. to influence destiny. It's exactly camera-wise positioned and set up the exact same way Anakin's vision is on Mortis. Wow. 
it, it, it plays through yeah. the exact same spiraling camera, this purpley black fog spinning around of these images coming into frame the exact same way. And it pretty much ends up on the same shot, except it's Yoda's back instead of Anakin's front. Yeah. And when he leaves there, you know, Qui-Gon mentions the fact of like, you know, this, this is your, I'm sorry, not Qui-Gon. The one priestess is like, yeah. this is your path. This is your destiny. This is what you are to do to do. And when the moment comes, we, we, you need to be ready. And so like the last, um, the, the like last thing that they state is the idea of there's always another way. And the way they say it is very blocked to Yoda watching the X-Wing go in Empire and going, no, there is another. Yeah. Um, which is just great because the priestesses basically talk about the fact that they are not here. They're part of the cosmic force. They're, they're basically in between worlds. Yes. They're no, they're not part of this existence. And at the very end, you know, we, we've dealt with time travel. We've dealt with the fact that Ahsoka gets to live and we've dealt with the fact that the force is trying to influence the universe and that there's these paths that people are supposed to take so on and so forth. And the last line in world between worlds is when they, um, the last line of note, I should say, is when Ezra uses the force to turn the sun's hand to close the portal, yeah. we hear the sun say the future by its nature can be changed, which echoes his line. He tells Anakin right before he shows him the vision of the future. Yeah. So you get to this whole thing of the cosmic force is outside of time, yeah. but living beings need to remain within inside time. Right. So. Would you essentially interpret all of that to mean there is no such thing as destiny in Star Wars? As a Taoist, I would take it as destiny is the slot you are meant to travel in. And that destiny by its nature is unknowable. It's inscrutable. You can't understand what you're supposed to do. In my opinion, Anakin follows his destiny because he keeps getting pulled into his destiny is to bring balance to the force. Yeah. The way he will do that is we'll fight tooth and nail to control fate until he eventually gives up. Is there a universe where he embraced his Tao way earlier in life and said, you know what? I love my wife, but I need to let her go. I need her to go back to Naboo and do her thing so I can fight and die in the Clone Wars, probably killing the Sith Lord as I was meant to be. Is that how he could have gone? Yes, because Taoism would say you can always come back to your Tao, but when you are outside of your way is when folly occurs. And you could state that basically from their marriage at the end of episode two until the throne room in episode six is Anakin's bucking of that destiny. And admittedly, it leads to good things too. Luke and Leia are born because of that, you know, and they're, they're great, but they're also aberrant. They're also not the way the force would have, if it could have gone straight and narrow, if the force could go straight and narrow the way we're left with, with the Mortis trilogy is, Anakin goes, well, I guess it's my destiny. All right, dad, you can retire. I'm going to watch your kids. And his controlling and embracing of watching these two forces on this cosmic world will keep the universe outside this cosmic world in balance. His denial of that is the path that leads him to fighting and fighting and fighting this until he eventually gets it. And then eventually can join the cosmic force when he dies. Okay. So through that whole lens, I have one question. Yes. Does the universe get out of whack and out of balance because of what Sidious is doing? Or is Sidious able to get the universe out of balance because the sun starts falling to the dark side? Okay, so here's the frustration with all this. Okay, the sun is starting to fall to the dark side, and we 
as far as we can tell, it is during the Clone Wars. Yeah. Like that from the living beings perspective is when in time this happens. Right. So Sidious is already on the way to his triumph. We're in like a year into the Clone Wars. Yeah. He's running both sides. Sidious yeah. has already caused all this evil. And I think the son's corruption represents the son's desire to go all the way. Yeah. To win, to escape, to be yeah. in charge. That's what Sidious is trying to do. Yeah. Sidious is trying to destroy the light. He's trying to give the revenge the Sith deserve. And in that vein, he will make an eternal Sith empire that he will rule over forever. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what I see it as is what you interpret it as, which is Anakin kills the daughter, you know, is cause for the daughter to die. And then that leads to the balance being so out of whack that it needs to go and be more brutal. It's ready to kill its son. Yeah. And then it sacrifices itself because that's the right answer. And then the son gets killed because of that sacrifice. Yeah. That sacrifices Anakin eventually looking at Sidious and going like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm not the bad guy. You are. Yeah. And for his son, following his heart, fights the emperor and the emperor dies. And then the son dies. Vader dies as well because yeah. Vader cannot continue either. He is the he is the avatar of the dark side. Yeah. He can't continue either. Yeah. His son will have to go forth as something where the universe is zeroed out and there isn't this need for one-on-one to balance. Yeah. Now, this all jives really well with the very end of Rise of Skywalker where Rey is looking at the stars and hearing the voices in a very similar way to the world between worlds of all these voices interpreting her. Yeah. But, all right. We've, yeah, we've talked. I'm sorry. Hey, this was just a special episode. Come back in two days for another one. Yeah, I was going to say, we have another episode which will be way less controversial and way less highbrow, probably. Uh, but so it's going to be fun. We're going to talk about yet. I we haven't written down, but I don't remember. I'm I'm a little focused on this. All right, friends. Yeah. Thank you for joining for us. Uh, please don't hate us. Uh, please don't hate me specifically. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed this deep, 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 deep dive into the Mortis trilogy. Please let us know on social media what you thought, what you think. Um, we would love to have your feedback. Do you like longer form stuff like this? Do you like these deeper dives? Do you want more topical? Do you want us to keep it light? Um, I would love to know what you have to say. And I think that's all I've got. You ain't got final words? Nope. Um, I, uh, hey, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.